And the first off the top that we're going to cover here is this. You know, back at D23, the last one they did 17 years ago, how it feels like forever <laughs> ago, Rob. Feels like forever ago. But the last D23, one of the projects they talked about was Cruella, starring Emma Stone. And I thought, you know, not really a project for me, but it looked interesting, whatever. And by the way, Marie Seifring sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Marie. Um, but, you know, not really for me, but okay, whatever. And we knew that a trailer was coming. Well, that trailer has now come. The Cruella trailer has dropped this morning. And now look, Rob, at the Disney Investor Day thing, there were some trailers that got us very excited, but there was almost an equal number of trailers and spots they showed for different projects that honestly didn't look all that great. Um, and I was kind of full admit, I was kind of expecting that this Cruella project trailer whenever it dropped would probably be one of those probably yeah it's it's for whoever their demographic is it might be for them won't be for me I'll tell you what I thought this trailer was great for what it is you know for what it, I mean it's not Godzilla versus Kong but I mean for what it is this was really good how do you take one of these classic Disney villains and bake really make a a, a watchable relatable, something you can invest in kind of standalone narrative movie because we've seen some people take cracks at it before and had mixed results. And I'll tell you what, I was watching this and I thought it was really good. On top of that, that one shot, Rob, in the trailer where she walks in and she's wearing white and then like drops a flame and it all burns up and then suddenly she's in red. I mean, that was, I gasped a little bit. When I saw that, I gasped a little bit. So like, it's not Godzilla versus Kong, but I thought this was a really fine trailer for a movie that quite frankly, I have not been all that interested in, but I got to say, I'm kind of interested in this now, Rob, you had a chance to check this thing out. What did you think of it? Dude, I loved it. I mean, you know, I, I had really like, I've grown up with 101 Dalmatians. I like Glenn Close playing Cruella DeVille, you know, but this, this was like the Joker version of Cruella DeVille. I'm there for it, man. I'm uh, I'm in. Count me in. What were your expectations for it before the trailer came out? I had none. <laughs> I mean, it was. <laughs> I I didn't know. Like, I I figured it would be a very. I was very surprised by the tone of this. It was much more adult than I thought it was going to be. I thought Emma Stone, you know, looked great, and it it just looks, it looks fun. It looks like something that's you know up my alley, and I. You know, I was really excited for Mary Poppins Returns, to be honest. Oh, dude, so was I. I was so disappointed in that. I I I thought it was just like a retread of of the original. They all they had all the elements, everything from the director on down to the cast, and I thought it was just really let down by the script. And I looked at this, so I had no expectations for Cruella, and I I I think the 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 direction that they've gone in it was I'm like, okay, I will watch this. And uh, it looked great to me. And uh, Emma Stone, who I adore, looks like she's having a wonderful time playing Psycho Cruella. And what's the line She'll, in it? She says something along the lines of, I was born brilliant, I was born bad, and I was born mad. 
Yeah. It's I, like maybe a little mad or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, I, I thought it looked, listen, again, I'm just kind of surprised because I did not have any expectations for this, to be honest with you. You guys know I haven't talked a lot about it, but I thought it was a pretty charming trailer. Question is, guys, did you have a chance to see this Cruella trailer? If so, what did you think? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, uh, let's move into another off the top, shall we? And that is this. Rob, one of the movies that a lot of us have been looking forward to or at least curious about and wondering where the hell is this trailer is the new Mortal Kombat. Now, we saw, I think it was Entertainment Weekly, drop a story about it and dropped a bunch of images. Normally, not always, but normally when that happens, a trailer is like coming within the next 24 to 48 hours. It never did come. However, now there's been a new development. A bunch of individual character posters for the upcoming Mortal Kombat, giving us reveals of Sub-Zero, Kano, uh, Melina, Kung Lao, and Shang Tsung have been released. And uh, you know what? They're very stylistic. I like what they're showing us here. There's a definite artistic and color palette that they've decided to use. And these images look pretty good. I mean, look, still images and character posters give us absolutely zero indication on if this movie is going to be any good or not. I mean, let's just, let's just call it what it is. Let's just admit that if they could be crappy character posters, it doesn't mean it's going to be a bad movie. They can be fantastic character posters. Doesn't mean the movie's going to be any good. But I tell you, I dig the style. I, I like, I like the artistic choices they have made here with these posters. Now, what is interesting is that when posters come out, That's really when you look for a trailer to drop. We're now in about the two-month window until this movie comes out. I have a feeling, although admittedly I said this before, but I have a feeling probably within the next week, maybe even within the next 24 hours, we will get a trailer finally for this Mortal Kombat thing. Rob, you had a chance to see these Mortal Kombat posters. Uh, What did you think of them, and does it adjust your expectations or excitement for the movie at all? Well, if you watch them on Twitter, they're animated, and it says that the trailer drops tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Oh, it does say the trailer drops tomorrow. Yeah. Well, there you and, go. I, in that case, I was right when I said it would drop within 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at like I'm looking at my favorites. Like I love Scorpion. Uh, I like all the like the more samurai looking guys. I love Raiden. I mean, Luke Kang's cool, but he's a little basic. Um, uh, Shang Tsung looks great. Oh, the Shang Tsung uh, one looks. Because he reminds me a lot of the dude. I, I keep forgetting the actor's name, but he looks there's a there's a similarity between him and the dude from the original Mortal Kombat movie, and I think yeah. that looks great. Yeah, Sub Zero looks great. Kano looks great. Or Kano, you know, um, and Melina, she looks pretty badass. I, I I mean, it looks. I like the the look of these characters. So it you know this movie to me has always been I've always been sort of chuckling about it. But looking at this, I mean, look, dude, the proof's in the pudding. When we see that trailer tomorrow, much will be revealed. <laughs> and I think how I feel about this movie will be revealed then. But looking at these character posters, I like the – I guess I would call it the attitude, if that mm. makes sense. Yep, yep. I, I, I like the attitude that we're seeing. And if you look at them on Twitter, they're animated posters. So uh, it looks cool. You know, I, I, I'm I, glad I have HBO Max. <laughs> I mean, and but the, you, what you said was so bang on. Is that like these character posters are great? The images we saw before are great. The the synopsis we sound is good. The reality is, I'm still a little 
cautious about this movie because it is both a first-time director and a first-time screenwriter getting a, a movie made. Those things make me nervous. But you're right. What really gives us our taste of what the flavor of this movie is going to feel like is going to be that trailer when they drop it tomorrow. And I got a feeling it's going to feel like a rock concert trailer, a little bit of a rock concert, a little bit of a video game yeah. uh, trailer, which would be appropriate for the thing. So we will see. We will see if that turns out to be any good. So we'll probably end up talking about that tomorrow. Question is, guys, did you have a chance to check out these Mortal Kombat character posters? I like them. I mean, it doesn't mean the movie's going to be any good, but I like them personally. What did you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic, issue, or story that you think we should have as a main topic here on The John Campion Show, just go anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campion Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Andy Newton, who writes, Once movie theaters reopen again, could you imagine them running shows like the MCU's uh, Future Star Wars, etc. week to week? I know these are shorter than regular movies, but it would be certainly amazing to share this viewing experience thoughts. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, now listen, this idea... Let's face these Disney Plus shows so far, Rob. Now, granted, it's a very small sample size. We've had two. We've had Mandalorian. Well, maybe three. Mandalorian season one. We've had Mandalorian season two. And now we are in the midst of WandaVision season one. They are becoming event kind of shows. It's becoming event. And by the way, everybody, happy 36 hours. Happy 36 hours until the next episode of WandaVision. It is a tradition around here. Happy 36-hour countdown to you, my friends. Anyway, it has become, they have become events. The launch of the new episode of Mandalorian or the launch of the next episode of WandaVision have become events in and of themselves. Now, there is precedent. There have been times when television shows and episodes of those shows have been brought to the theaters. We remember famously when Game of Thrones did that. Like they launched the season premieres of something of one or two of the seasons in theaters like a week early or something like that. Uh, the awful, horrible, terrible Marvel show, The Inhumans. God, that was bad. Uh, but The Inhumans, they launched with their first couple of episodes in theaters. I went, Rob, to the theaters to go see that. And oh my God, I wanted to smack the taste out of my own mouth when I walked out of that theater. It was so bad, so bad. So, but there is precedent here for it. The idea of the whole thing of um, taking episodes of a show and putting it in the theaters first could have merit. And I, I want to talk for a second about why they should do it and why it would work, but then reasons why maybe it's not such a good idea and maybe reasons why it wouldn't work. Think about this, Rob. Let's say with the pitch fever there is of WandaVision right now, let's say 
that they decided to put WandaVision out in theaters. For, for us in L.A., it comes out Thursday at midnight. All right. For us in L.A., it comes out Thursday at midnight. That's 3 a.m. on Friday on the East Coast. But let's say you put it out Wednesday, like a one-night-only thing. The next episode of WandaVision will be playing at your local AMC or Regal or whatever, one night only, uh, one day before it launches on television. I think with the amount of buzz and hype and momentum right now behind a show like WandaVision, I think that is something that people would get behind and people would probably do. I think it's something people would probably do. I think they would get on board with this. And don't forget, we've also got a show like Loki coming, right? You get Once Loki comes out, you say, hey, it debuts Thursday at midnight, but hey, you want to go Wednesday and see your local AMC theater? Go and watch it with a big crowd of people, all that kind of stuff. Hoorah! Great. Fantastic. I think there's something there that could really work. I think it'd be, the theaters would love it. I think the, you know, would raise, make money for the studios. I think it would give us fans a very interesting experience being able to be in a, a big theater with hundreds of other fans cheering and ooing and awing when all the things happen, like when Quicksilver shows up at her door and all that kind of stuff. Imagine being in a room with 200 people when that oh, happened. I, dude. That'd be great. That would be awesome. Or Loki shows up and Thor makes an appearance. I don't know. I'm just speculating there, but I think there's a lot of pros there, Rob. And I think those are reasons why they should actually look at doing it. There are, however, two drawbacks and they're not insignificant drawbacks. Drawback. Number one, the whole reason, Rob, we, you and I know that Warner brothers makes the Watchmen for HBO Max. We know why Amazon is making Lord of the Rings for Amazon Prime. And the reason Disney makes Mandalorian for Disney Plus, the game in the you know battle of streaming services is original, exclusive content. They make those shows so people will sign up to their service. And I don't know that a Disney Plus would be willing to say, we're going to offer you a different way to watch it. So you don't have to sign up for Disney Plus. You can go see it in the movie theater. I don't know that they would be thrilled to do that. Although maybe you could make an argument, Rob, if you go to the theater and have a great experience watching an episode of WandaVision, you might be more likely to then go sign up for Disney Plus. Maybe there's an argument made for that. But Rob, here's the biggest drawback. The biggest drawback is this. Spoilers. If they, you know what'll happen. The audience that gets to go see it Wednesday night are immediately going to start flooding Twitter and the internet and Reddit and whatever else it is with all the spoilers that happened. Now, granted, anybody who can't watch the show the moment it starts airing on Disney Plus already faces that dilemma. Like if you can't be up at Thursday at midnight or 3 a.m. and you can't watch it till the next night, well... You're running the risk of a day of losing it anyway. So maybe that's not such a big deal. So there's the reasons why I think it could work and maybe why it would work. And there's a couple of the big drawbacks that I see. Rob, you look at this idea of taking these event-like shows, shows like Mandalorian, WandaVision. We know Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be that as well. Shows like Watchmen on HBO Max or others. What do you see as the pros and the cons of maybe trying to figure out a way to do them theatrically and on the service? What do you, how do you see it? Well, I think, first of all, the problem I see at first is length. You know, like, would you show two episodes because they're short 
obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so that's that's a problem um, because you get people to come and get all hyped in the theater for a half an hour experience or even if they're an hour long, it's it's short, you know, but maybe you could couple it with something else like a preview of a new Disney film or something. So you get two big things for the price of one um, spoilers, like you said. And I, I, I guess other than that, I don't really see a drawback, but you just have to make it worth the audience's while. I mean, I think that, look, I really want to see WandaVision on a big screen because there's the production value is incredibly high. And I, I just, I think it'd be fun the way it changes its aspect ratio. I think that would, you'd feel it a lot more if you were seeing that on a big mm, screen. Good point. And I would, I, I would love to see, you know, I would go see if they, if they did this, I would go see all episodes of WandaVision, like nine episodes aired together in one, one, like one movie. Like I'd love them to cut it together into one program and watch it all at once. So you'd only have to watch the opening credits once and the end credits once and watch everything cut together. I think that'd be kind of neat. Like the WandaVision experience or something. I don't know if they would do that. That'd be like course, close to six hours. That would be that would be tough. <laughs> I mean, of course, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be we'd know what the story is, but I would love to just see it in a theater. Yeah. I love the idea of seeing it to the theater as well. Question is, guys. What do you think about the notion and something they've tried before? Could you take those things and try applying them to these Disney Plus, maybe upcoming HBO or Amazon shows where you try a theatrical release at the same time? There are pros that could really be great, but there are also some big drawbacks that could be bad. How do you guys see it? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Michael Burgett, who writes, Hey, John, been watching your show for a while and enjoying your takes, whether I agree or disagree. Thank you so much, Michael. That's the whole idea. Uh, Deadline is now reporting that Mission Impossible 7 and 8 are no longer being filmed back to back because Tom Cruise will be doing press for Top Gun Maverick. What are your thoughts on the new uh, Mission Impossible shooting schedule? And is this good news about Maverick being released this summer? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, so you guys know that for the longest time, the plan here was for them to shoot Mission Impossible 7 and 8. And there's already been a lot of drama around the production. This thing has been shut down by COVID. Then there was the whole Tom Cruise like, like uh, beacon off at some guys that I thought was totally well-deserved. At any rate, and they were supposed to shoot it back-to-back -back with episode eight. Well, apparently now, that's not going to happen. This comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who write, Sources said this is simply down, the fact that they're no longer going to be shooting back-to-back. -back. This is simply down to shifting release calendars. Star Tom Cruise will now be needed on a promotional tour duties by the studio for Top Gun Maverick ahead of that film's planned release on July 2nd and will be out of action for a period of time. Once that film has rolled out, hopefully to pack cinemas in a post-COVID world, production on Mission Impossible 8 can begin, meaning the gap shouldn't be too impactful. All right, that comes to us from the folks over at Deadline. This is interesting on a couple of fronts. Number one, it's not like they had to cancel shooting back-to-back -back and now they're going to have to start shooting Mission Impossible 8 in 18 months, right? 
there's going to be a couple of months window that they're going to have to break for, and then they'll come back and jump on getting Mission Impossible 8 done. So yeah, it's technically it's not shooting it back to back, but again, it's not like they had to bump it too awful much. So there's that aspect of it. The second aspect of it is the fact that this kind of speaks that the studio is pretty convinced. I mean, you have to be. If you're going to, Rob, if you're going to shift your entire production schedule for an entire movie for a promotional tour, right or wrong, it means they're at least convinced, again, whether they're right or wrong, they're convinced that, yeah, this thing's coming out on June 2nd in theaters. If they're, because, Rob, you know that when you move entire production schedules, that isn't free. That you've lost, you've lost money by altering production schedules, probably a lot of it. And you're costing yourself a lot of time and money. So it seems that they're convinced this thing is going to hit theaters on the date that it's scheduled to come out. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. Rob, with such a short break, I don't think this is going to interfere with their production plans too terribly much on Mission Impossible 8. But Rob, you see this whole thing. What stands out to you? Well, one, like you said, maybe Top Gun Maverick will indeed come out when it's supposed to. And that... John, that's exciting because I have to tell you, despite the fact that it's coming, what, 34 years after the original, I can't wait to see this movie. <laughs> I really want to. I, I mean, I really want to see it. But two, look, if, if anything, someone's going to make a documentary about how Mission Impossible 7 soldiered on through COVID. And because of the Herculean efforts of Tom Cruise and Macquarie and the production team, I mean, Tom Cruise paid for the whole crew to be housed in a boat offshore to to cut down on their with a controlled environment to cut down on their potential exposure to covid they did it they actually they were all over the world they they did it they made this thing happen i mean they had an impossible mission themselves as filmmakers and they they uh, they accepted it and they apparently completed it so kudos to them i don't think this is going to cause that much of a delay it'll give them time to take a breather uh, see what they've got in terms of the footage, put things together. And, um, you know, I really don't think it's that big a deal. The crew probably needs a break anyway. Right. I mean, uh, you know, they go home to their families, they get re-energized. It's probably the best thing for everybody. It's the best of all possible worlds. All right. Question here is, guys, what do you think about this? Do you think this break between the production of Mission Impossible Episode 7 and Mission Impossible Episode 8 is going to affect it too terribly much? We don't think so, but maybe it could. Also, do you agree with us that this kind of seems like this means Paramount is pretty sure they're releasing on that date? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Jacob Ember, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, if he's there, I just read an article uh, from The Hollywood Reporter saying that insiders expect the Cara Dune character to be recast. Opinions on Carano aside, what are your thoughts on a possible recast? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, I saw that article uh, when it initially came out and I was like, I, I just don't see them recasting it. I just don't see them recasting it. And it should be noted that The Hollywood Reporter then updated their article to claim just that. Let's go over and see what The Hollywood Reporter had to say. They said this. 
Carano, sources say, had repeatedly been warned by those around her about social media behavior. You guys know I was the first one to tell you about that a little bit ago. Uh, insiders say Cara Dune wasn't part of the Star Wars series Next Up, a Boba, uh, the Boba Fett spinoff, but expected that the character will be recast down the road for both story and merchandising reasons. A source, however, at Lucasfilm says that a recasting is not expected to happen. All right, this is this is key. A recasting is not expected to happen. Now, I know there has been a lot of uh, speculation going around. Some people, uh, who are they wanted? Some people were wanting Lucy Lawless to come yeah. in and be the new Cara Dune. There have been a bunch of actresses getting on their social media, kind of pitching themselves to Disney as being the new Cara Dune. They, they, they're serious. There have been actresses doing that, all that kind of stuff. Rob, I think not casting. Number one, I am not surprised at all that they have come out and said they are not cast. We're not going to recast. And and I'm I'm glad for it. I expected them not to recast. And and once again, the reason I don't think Disney was going to recast, there are two reasons. One's a minor reason. One's a bigger reason. The minor reason is this. Disney likes to move past controversies fairly quickly. Like they, they don't like to drag them out too much. They like, if they happen, they happen, but they seem to like to move past them quickly. If they just suddenly recast the Cara Dune character, that is going to prolong the controversy. The conversation is going to go right back to Gina Carano and all this kind of stuff. And I don't think Disney wants to do that, but that's the minor reason. The main reason that I've said from the beginning that I don't think they're going to recast Cara Dune is because of this. I believe Disney likes to keep their options open. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to do anything, but they at least like to keep their options open. We remember that when they fired James Gunn, without any warning, without any discussion, but when they fired James Gunn, they kept the door they kept the door open. A year later, he was rehired and brought back in. If you recast Cara Dune, your options are now gone. The moment you have another actress come in and play the role, your options off the table. You no longer have the option of bringing her back later if you want to. That's now done. And I think Disney is a company that likes to keep their options open. And from a personal point of view, I always like hearing about fixed relationships, whether they're business relationships, personal relationships, whatever. I like hearing stories about fixed relationships. Look, and again, don't misquote me. I am not saying that Disney will hire back Cara Dune. Let me be very, very clear about that. But... Do I believe it's possible? Sure. I think it's possible. If it could happen with James Gunn, it could happen here. Is it likely? Maybe not likely. But yeah, Rob, I just really felt that Disney wouldn't recast because they want to keep that option, however unlikely, available to them and on the table. So I'm not surprised to hear this at at all. Rob, Number one, what do you think Disney should, I mean, should there are arguments to be made that maybe they should just recast this character and move on? Maybe they shouldn't. What are your thoughts on this whole thing? Well, I think it's gotten, again, it's a PR disaster and it's, it's, you know, for fans of the Mandalorian, remember most fans are not covering or watching the internet the way we all do. You know, a lot of people who just are enjoying the show for what it is, and they're not following this brouhaha. I mean, I I guess a lot now are because it's exploded. But I just think that here was a character that that people really liked. 
And, you know, to recast this character, all it does is draw attention to all of this. And then you're going to what? You're going to make toys of this new version of the character, but not the old version. They've actually canceled a lot of the merchandise that was getting made with with her in it. Yeah, Hasbro pulled uh, pulled uh, the toy. They're not making it anymore. You know, it's, you look at this stuff and you're like, wow. Uh, you know, if they just wanted to recast the role, they could have just recast the role or, or, or made a new character. I mean, she was on the show for two years. She ended season two. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Characters like that, two seasons and they're done. That happens on TV all the time. But now it's become this big brouhaha. And like you, I think they are keeping their options open. Because, you know, at the end of the day, maybe you get something out of apologizing and repenting and showing you've learned something and then you can come back and they can keep making the show that they were going to make. And, you know, once people have done that, you don't give anybody anywhere else to go. And I think that, um, you know, in this day and age, I think it's important that we realize that it's terrible that people get quote unquote canceled forever, that someone's livelihood and their family's livelihood could be destroyed by interacting on social media. And it's, I think that there's something to be said for Disney allowing people like James Gunn to come back and maybe they'll allow her to come back, assuming she shows enough, uh, let's say thoughtfulness and introspection and can make some kind of an agreement with Disney, but you know, you never know. Yeah. And I think that's the key here. I, again, we're not trying to say that there's a likelihood of anything. It's simply just that it's nice to keep the option on the table that it's there because you never know what'll happen tomorrow. You never know. Anyway, guys, question is, what do you think about this whole situation? The fact that Lucasfilm is now saying they are not going to recast the role of Cardoon. I think that's the right move for several different reasons. Maybe you think it's the wrong one. Jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys, with that all down, Let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? Once again, if you want to get in a live comment or question on the show, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video or send it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. All right, guys, let's jump into it here, shall we? And we're going to get things started off here. And by the way, uh, Smilodon sends in a live a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. All right. Ian McAllister writes, John Krasinski, Anna Kendrick, The Hollers. Yep, I believe that was the first movie he directed. Uh, do you do yourself a favor, John. It is a star-studded cast, and I think it just became one of my new favorites. A wonderful, heartfelt, uh, feel-good movie directed by Jim Halpert himself, featuring Agent Jim, yep, Randall Park is in it, and Charlie Date. Also, what's the name of the guy from District 9 again? Charlito Copley. Copley. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. That's it. He's in there as well. I think Richard Jennings is in that as well. It is a charming, fun little film that showed that, hey, guess what? Jim Halpert's got some uh, got some directing chops. And you're right. It was our first look at Jim and Asian Jim, John Krasinski and Randall Park and something. By the way, by the way, we could be seeing that again in 35 and a half hours, Rob. 
There is an ever so slight chance that we may see the two gyms together again on screen in 35 and a half hours. All right, uh, Alex, that would be great. Alex Phillips writes, uh, Matt T, I just watched The Devil's Advocate starring Al Pacino and Keanu Reeves. What a movie. I'm a so fan of a man, baby. Have you seen this movie? If so, what's your rating? Well, I don't, I don't give ratings on movies. But Rob, you and I have talked about Devil's Advocate once. Well, what, and the iconic poster as well, right? Reeves seeing the chair, Pacino behind oh, him, yeah. like that. It's an it's a great movie. I mean, like I'm not gonna lie, it's not in my top twenty of all time or anything, but it's a great movie. What did you think of it, dude? I love the Devil's Advocate. As our viewer said, I'm a fan of man. <laughs> I'm a humanist. That the his speech, at, at you know, there's a lot of men that have played the devil. In movies, Robert De Niro played the devil. Louis Safier in mm. Angel Heart. And um, I think that Al Pacino's Devil and the Devil's Advocate might be my very favorite. It's it's really good. I uh, love the movies. It's so good. Charlize Theron is sex. Connie Nielsen is sexy. You've got the the this product. Um, uh, the cast is in it. Uh, Delroy Lindo is in it playing a, a voodoo leader. I, it's just the movie's so good. Uh, and uh, but my my personal favorite portrayal of the devil, of course, is still Tom Ellis's Lucifer in the show Lucifer. That's still my favorite. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. Alex Phillips writes, uh, John Robb and company. I managed to watch HBO Max's Raised by Wolves in the UK. A little late to the party, but damn, what a show. Buzzing to see what happens in season two. Have you guys had a chance to watch this yet? Big love from the UK. Yes, I, I got on it pretty quick. I got on Saved by uh, Raised by Wolves pretty quick. And I was really into it. I'm not going to lie to you, though, Rob. The finale lost me. The season finale kind of kind of lost me. It just felt like the whole thing went off the rails. I was just like, this is what this season was building up to? I don't know. So I'm torn. I don't know whether to give season two a shot or not because I was really enjoying the show right up to the last episode. And then it just, I don't know, it just kind of lost me in the last episode. I just didn't enjoy what their decisions were at that point. But I don't know. I'm torn. I'm still having to decide. Rob, have you had a chance to see Raised by Wolves? Oh, I did. What do I you watched think Raised of it? By... I thought it was really compelling, you know, very, very interesting. But like you, when we got to the final episode, there's a there's a lot of wackiness that happened, John, without ruining it for anyone. And I, um, I wondered... What, was this really where you were going? Yeah. <laughs> because I, I felt a little bit, let's just say taken aback, a little maybe let down. I was expecting something a little bit more profound. It seemed kind of like a bit of a cop-out just for, it was a shock value cop-out, I think. Yeah. But I'll tune in because the show was so full of really interesting ideas. And it, what I liked about it, it was, it felt like, it was real. I mean, when I say real science fiction, it wasn't good guys versus bad guys necessarily. And it it had more going on than that. And it was, I thought, it just, it was, I was so interested in every episode until I got to the end. I was like, um, come on, man. Really? Yeah. I, but again. I think the journey was worth it, John. I think no, knowing the end's wacky, I think the journey is definitely worth it. It's 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 weird because when the when you know the destination and you're not happy with the destination, to me it sours the journey a little bit. But I I'll wait to see what some people maybe maybe the maybe season two will make will put it all in a different context and we'll see where it goes from there. All right, uh, next up, Connor M writes. 
I don't have any questions. I just wanted to write in and say thank you. Currently sitting in the ER with my pregnant wife. Oh, my God. Uh, she is very dehydrated and watching your show has kept my mind on something other than worry. Thanks, guys. Keep on the filthy. Well, this was sent in on Monday. This got sent in on Monday. So uh, clearly you have a child now. I, I hope everything went well, Connor. And I'm glad that we were able to be there for you to help alleviate the stress a little bit through it. Please do email me at john at thejohncabishow.com and let me know how all that went because that's that's pretty intense, man. Thanks for sharing that with us, dude. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John. Man, WandaVision just consistently keeps get, keeps me guessing. I have a question. Bear with me because this might be a reach. Do you think that Baron Mordo makes an appearance in WandaVision? He is trying to hunt down sorcerers. Could be wrong. Well, look, technically speaking, Wanda is not a sorceress. Technically speaking, not in the MCU, not in the shows, not in the movies. But there is the reason Mordo isn't one of the more outlandish theories is because there is a narrative tie. We know that WandaVision, Spider-Man 3, and Doctor Strange 2 comprise a one story arc. Mordo is definitely a part of Doctor Strange 2. We know this. So it's the only narrative connection, but because of that connection, it's not an outlandishly ridiculous theory. I don't think we're going to see Chiwetel Ejiofor in there. Um, but it, it's not the most, uh, it's not like it lacks any basis. There is a reason to believe that that's possible. So I don't know. I don't think it will be, but we will see. All right. Next up. Anonymous also writes, uh, Hey John, any thoughts on the new resident evil reboot movie coming out? I'm really hoping for a great, uh, resident evil movie as the games are some of my favorites. The first resident evil movie was okay, but the rest, especially near the end were God awful fingers crossed. I'm not going to lie to you. I have zero expectation, Rob. I have zero expectation and zero hype for a new, I, I, I didn't like any of the resident evils. I just didn't think any of them were good. Not even as, as like B movie delicious chocolatey no. no i found them dull and uninterested by the way justin ward sends in a super chat bad in the live chat thank you so much justin um no i find them dull and Wait, I was boring. Say, oh i i have something i want to show you John. oh here we go i, I have something i want to show you and I, I i do not apologize for this oh what we got here here is the resident Ooh. evil 4k box set of oh, all wow. of the Resident Evil movies. Oh my goodness, you own th that's a great box though. Dude, it's that so is a good. great case. It's so good. And look, on the back it says the Umbrella Corporation, so you can go <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's creative. But, there you go. <laughs> right there. I so what, you looking forward to this movie? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? All right, let's keep going here. Uh, next up, Anon writes, you misunderstood me before. I know they announced, ooh, you got to sometimes remind me, guys, about what you said before. Okay, so you misunderstood me before. I know they announced the Daryl and Carol. Oh, you're talking about the Walking Dead thing. I know they announced the Daryl and Carol spinoff. I wasn't saying that uh, that was you making a guess. I was saying the announcement of the spinoff is a red herring itself. So when Daryl dies, it's a shock. Uh, I know you stopped season nine, but in nine, there is uh, there is a six-year time skip. And they mentioned Daryl and Carol spent some time together for the six years. So I think Daryl dies in the finale. 
and the spinoff is the six years that went that were missing because now people like you are expecting Daryl to live, but when he dies, it shocks. Uh, maybe so. What was what happened before? Was somebody wrote in and said they think Di- Daryl dies at the end? And I said, well, we kind of know he doesn't because they've already announced a spinoff show uh, with uh, you know Daryl uh, Daryl and Carol. But uh, the theory Anana is saying is, no, 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 that's just to, to mislead people and distract. It's a distraction, right? What they're really going to do is that there's going to be a spinoff that happens in the time gap, and then that will throw people off. So when Daryl dies, it shocks everybody. Maybe, maybe. Here's the thing to me, though, Rob, is that why would I watch, if Daryl dies, why would I then watch a Daryl and Carol spinoff series, prequel series to, I mean, listen, if, if walking dead was a movie and there've been two or three movies, you do this, but walking dead is a series that's kind of run its course. How many seasons has it been now? Seven, ten. eight, nine, ten. <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know. Nine, ten. I watched all, all of them until up just about two years ago. I kind of, I kind of did. I, I stopped watching walking dead at the end of the Negan story where they fight, they win and they capture Negan and um, they, when Rick decides to keep Negan alive and they keep him imprisoned. That was the last I saw of it. And I enjoyed Walking Dead. I did. But for me, it kind of played its course. Do you do, is now the time to do a flash? I don't know. Because you're right, Anon. It would be a massive misdirect. It would be a very massive misdirect. But do you do a spinoff series just to set up a one-moment misdirect of one character dying? I, I don't know, Rob. What do you think about the theory? I I don't think so. I mean, uh, yeah, I I'm with you. I don't think it's a misdirect. I don't, and I don't know if I'd want to watch. I mean, I'm kind of. The Walking Dead was a show that was made for me, man. I love the first season. I love the few other seasons after that. But then it just, it's like enough already. Can't people be nice to each other when the dead are walking? <laughs> how, how often, how long do we, well, let's move to Wyoming. Why are we stuck here? I, you know, I just think that there's, there's, I don't know, maybe, maybe for me, walking dead is just way beyond its uh, shelf life. I, now somebody brought up in the live chat and this is, and I was thinking about this, you know, well, look, we've got black widow. We've got Black Widow coming. We got a Black Widow movie. She dies, and now they're doing a, a short uh, thing. Yeah, but there are two major, major differences between the Black Widow situation and the Walking Dead situation. In the Walking Dead situation, Walking Dead has played its course. I mean, it's not as popular as it used to be. Uh, I'm not saying for those who still like it, shouldn't still love it and enjoy it, but it is not as popular as it used to be. It has coming to the end of its lifespan, sort of, whereas the MCU... I mean, they just had an almost $3 billion film and they have the number one television show in the world right now. They, this is The MCU is not in its final stages right now. No. So that's a big difference. The other big difference is this. There's a difference between doing a 120-minute movie and planning an entire spinoff television series on that. So I, I think there's a difference between the, the Black Widow situation and that. But again... It is possible, not because you are right. It would set up a massive misdirect, and it would cause a big shock if Daryl dies at the end. You're right about that, absolutely. All right, Ryan Loner writes, As far as I can tell, there is literally not one person on Earth who knows how the line, we live in a society, became associated with the Joker, especially since the person who actually said it was George Costanza. 
George can't stand yet. You know, I'm not going to lie. Every time Ann and I pull into a parking space and we still, we find, like, we pull into a, a strip mall or a mall or something and we find a really close parking space, Ann still says, Costanza. Just if you guys know the, the episode. Oh, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, like when I started seeing, before I watched the trailer myself, I just saw a bunch of people quoting, We live in a society. And I'll admit, I had no idea what, are, why are people writing, We live in a society? Remember, I, I, I hadn't watched the justice league trailer yet. So I'm just, why are people, all these people quoting this? I had no idea, but it was a great moment in the trailer. Again, to me, the appearance of Joker at that end was the best moment of the trailer. That's the part of the Snyder cut thing that I am most looking forward to is when I heard that they announced that they were bringing in Jared Leto to be Joker, because I'm one of the few people on the planet that actually liked Jared Leto's Joker. So we'll see how that all plays out, Ryan. We'll see how that plays out. Sam Wright writes, Hey, John, just seen that uh, on the about section of your channel. It says 15 years ago this week, the 18th of February, you joined YouTube. Really? I didn't even realize that. <laughs> Congrats on 15 years uh, then and keep doing what you're doing. Love listening to the discussion every day. So wait a second. Let me think of this. Yeah, because, okay, so here's the timeline, Rob. So that would mean... Yes, this makes sense. I made, I create, I got started in doing all this with a blog I created called The Movie Blog. And it was so early that the name The Movie Blog was still available that you could actually register. Themovieblog.com was my site. And I made the very first post on my movie blog. It was a post about the upcoming, at the time, upcoming uh, horse racing movie Seabiscuit and I made my first post about it and that was in June I believe of 2003 and just a couple of years later when YouTube became a thing and all that kind of stuff I launched uh, I launched the YouTube channel for it and I mean, nobody ever watched it. <laughs> I mean, it was, it basically sat dormant and I put a couple of little things on here, but it basically sat dormant for a long time till I started, you know, doing more things. But yeah, I guess the channel was launched like 15 years ago. Dear heavens, Rob, I don't, you weren't here when I, when I, I don't think you were here, but, and I don't know if you saw my Twitter, but you want to feel old. You want to feel old? Get this. No, no. I don't uh -oh. know if you saw this on my Twitter, but somebody wrote this on the show and I immediately went onto Twitter live on the show. I went onto Twitter and tweeted it. The Phantom Menace, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, is now as old as Star Wars was when The Phantom Menace came out. Think about that, everybody. I can't remember which user wrote that into me, but The Phantom Menace is now as old as Star Wars, the original Star Wars was when The Phantom Menace came out. Think about that. Think about that. And then I think about, man, my YouTube channel has been in existence for 15 years. And that's still not as bad as that Phantom Menace thing. The Phantom Menace thing is the one that really hurts hurts me in the old, hurts hurts the old bowels, Rob. That one hurts the old bowels. Oh, it's it's tough. I mean, the the rapid. Well, what's really strange about all that, John, is that is that Star Wars has been ubiquitous in our lives, most of our lives. And yep. to realize how we've now we can now look at our own lives and, and click off what era of Star Wars that we're in, which is a little terrifying. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little bit terrifying and a little bit different to think about when you put that in perspective. All right, let's move on here. Next one up. Jesse writes, I did it, John. I finally did it after years of wanting to, I sat down and watched Shane Black's the nice guys and damn it. Now I'm pissed. This could have been an amazing franchise with these two solving seemingly petty crimes that end up being huge conspiracies. Good on you, Jesse. I talk about to me, Rob, the, the nice guys is the, to me, it's the poster child movie of people complain that nobody makes original movies anymore, but yes, they do, and y'all just don't support them. The Nice Guys is an amazing movie. It is an amazing, fun, charming uh, blast of a, of a piece of entertainment. Shane Black, one I think one of his best films, and that you got fantastic performances from Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling, my my favorite actor in the world and good Canadian kid, uh, both on there on the screen at the same time. It is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful movie. And I'm glad, Jesse, you checked it out. Rob, like, I got to admit, it's been about five years since I watched it. Uh, I should I should sit down and watch it again. But do you you've uh, you've seen this movie? Yes. What are your oh, thoughts on the nice guys? I own it. It's of a course you do. You know, I'm a, I'm 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 a huge fan of Shane Black, and I thought, you know, watching those guys, it's we don't we don't get movies like that anymore. You know, I grew up with those, whether it's Midnight Run or whether it's 48 Hours or, you know, the crazy two guys that might be different, but they have they're thrown together to do something, and and to have Ryan Gosling and of course Maximus Decimus Meridius in a movie together. Come on, man. Yep, it's 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 all sorts of goodness. All right, next up, Patrick Conway writes, Elizabeth Olsen recently said she thinks she's in Spider-Man three. I have never heard her say that. You'll have to you'll have to send me a reference to that because I I'm not familiar with that. Which I hope she does. Uh, what do you think are the chances that Spider-Man appears in Doctor Strange two, or do you think Spider-Man's involvement in the multiverse saga is just his own movie? I I am not expecting to see Elizabeth Olsen show up, but I mean it's possible. But I, but I haven't heard anything about that. I fully expect, I have no information on this. I'm just speculating as a fan. I fully expect that we'll probably see uh, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange 2. Like if this is one story arc and we're going to have Wanda in there, I'm, I'm going to guess we're going to see Spider-Man. I don't know that. Rob, what do you think the chances are that we're going to see Spider-Man in Doctor Strange 2? Look, I've been saying that I think that what they've done with these WandaVision um Spider-Man 3 and in the, the the multiverse of madness. I keep wanting to say in the mouth of the multiverse of madness. <laughs> in the multiverse of madness. I think it's like a big crossover. I think it's all going to be, we're going to see it as one large story. And unlike, say, the Infinity Saga, which is 23 movies, I think this is going to be a three-movie, maybe it'll expand, but I think a three-movie thing that's going to set up a lot of different things. But it's also going to be one story. And I, I kind of like that. And I think we're going to see all of these characters in all of these movies. I mean, I don't think Spider-Man's going to show up at the end of WandaVision. But I think that Spider-Man 3 and Doctor Strange are going to be a continuation of a longer story. All right. Uh, next up, we got Aaron Schroeder who writes, I need some advice. I never watched Justice League. Before the Snyder Cut comes out, should I watch a theatrical cut or should I go into the new version completely fresh and... How many people are in this position? Am I alone? Well, I think there's an argument to be made both ways. Like on the one hand, it's like if you want to go into into the uh, Snyder Cut and be able to appreciate or the opposite of that, 
what the differences are, then watching the theatrical version first is the right thing to do. Like if you want to go into to just because that's going to be the main thing a lot of people are going into the Snyder Cut version is going to see the differences. They want to see how it differs from what the theatrical one. And if you want that experience, you need to watch the theatrical one first. However, there's an argument to be made the opposite, which is, you know, this Snyder Cut version is what the original director, Zack Snyder, originally intended this movie to be with some late late in the game additions he made but for the most part this is the movie that the director originally intended to be made so if you want as clean an experience as possible like i just want to see what the original director originally wanted to make then you should go into Snyder Cut without watching the theatrical version. So it depends. If you want to be like a lot of people and, and understand and see and recognize and appreciate the differences, watch the theatrical version. If you just want to watch it clean, what was the director's original vision, go in and watch that. So it all depends on what you know you are most looking forward to. But those are, those are the two arguments both ways. All right, next up. Captain Blue Pants writes, I just want to say I love the addition of Kimberly to your rotation. Thank you so much. She's doing great, isn't she? Uh, she is awesome. Also, I think they will deal with Cap's death a little bit on Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Zemo might find out that Cap isn't dead. Then use that as leverage in some way. Not impossible, but Rob, you know, we just recently heard that Cap uh, Chris Evans has re-signed, has re-upped. He's going to appear in one, probably two more projects. But that all came after Captain or Falcon and Winter Soldier was already done shooting. So I doubt that. But these shows tend to tend to love to surprise us. In Mandalorian, we got Luke in 35 hours. Happy 35 hours, everybody. By the way, 35 hours till the next episode of WandaVision. <laughs> in about 35 hours, I think we're going to get some kind of big reveal. I still have no idea who the hell this aerospace engineer is going to be. But maybe it's Reed Richards. Maybe it's somebody. I don't know. But we're about to get one there. They do like these big surprise appearances. And and maybe that big surprise appearance for Falcon and Winter Soldier could be Chris Evans' old man cap. I mean, I, I don't know. What do you think the chances of that are? Well, I think pretty good because he's not going anywhere. I mean, theoretically, old man cap was it was in the universe. So he just finally made his presence known. I mean, I wonder if he would be in some kind of an advisory capacity. I, I wonder why he didn't uh, prevent the rise of Hydra. You know, <laughs> did he have to allow that to occur? I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how they deal with it because he's there. He's, he's, he's there, out right? there somewhere. Yeah, he's there somewhere. Maybe he's just hanging out. I don't know, but he's there. All right. Next up. Um, Zagard writes one of three. Hey, John. I have a sensitive topic to talk about, spoilers. I have some friends who say you should never say anything about anything that other people may not have seen or read, even if it's been out for 10 plus years. On the other hand, I have some friends who just don't care about spoilers at all. An example is me and five other friends were in di in a Discord call, and five of us had seen WandaVision Episode 6. Only one of us had not. So, as a joke, I said, man, wasn't it cool when Batman showed up and started beating up Pietro? And my friend, who had not seen episode six, literally said, if you keep saying things like that, I'm just going to leave. What do I do about situations like these? Well, listen, I've said for a while, Zagard, and, and the, the conundrum you find yourself in is one that most film fans we find ourselves in. The biggest problem with spoilers, and, you know, Rob, you and I have talked about this a lot, 
But the biggest challenge about spoilers is there is not one commonly accepted definition about what a spoiler is. Some people will say that, oh yeah, like for instance, in this movie, so there's this one scene where they're just having dinner. Well, spoiler, spoiler, telling you that there's a scene where a couple people are eating dinner is a spoiler. Yes, because to some people, any information at all about a movie or show they haven't seen yet is a spoiler. Take it to the other extreme. Uh, There are some people who only consider something a spoiler if it is a massive piece of information that fundamentally would alter the way they view the movie when they do sit down and watch it. So, for instance, for Sixth Sense, spoiler alert, finding out that Bruce Willis was dead all along, that fu- that's a major piece of information that fundamentally changes the way, because if you knew that before watching it, Rob, that fundamentally changes your entire viewing experience. You know, Rosebud is the sled. Fundamentally changes a lot of the way that you watch the viewing experience. He sees the Statue of Liberty at the end. He's been on Earth the whole time. That fundamentally changes the way you view the experience. So you have these two extremes. And then I can't believe you just spoiled three movies in one sentence. And just in one quick sentence. And <laughs> then the you hell, have man? a million stages in between, right? So since nobody has a common, accepted, and agreed upon definition about what a spoiler even is, you never know what's okay to talk about and what's not okay to talk about and all that kind of stuff. And that makes it challenging. I have a personal rule. Under normal circumstances, um, when there's when we're out not in a pandemic and a movie comes out in theaters, my normal thing about talking about spoilers openly on the show has been this. You wait till the movie has done its theatrical run, and then you wait that till it's been out on home video for at least a little bit, right? At least a little bit. If somebody hasn't seen a movie by then, Rob. To me, that person is not all that interested in watching that movie. If it had its entire theatrical run and you never went and it's been out on home video for a few days or a few weeks and you still haven't seen it, then clearly you're not all that interested. And the movie fan community at some point has to be able to openly discuss it. Uh, Doing a spoiler review is different because you're giving a warning. You should only come in here if you're interested in spoilers. For TV shows, I only say that window is 24 hours. You got 24 hours. Like if you want to watch, if you don't want to watch the Super Bowl because you can't watch it live, so you record it. If you still haven't watched it 24 hours later, sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 an extreme example. But I give people with television shows 24 hours. And once the show airs, after 24 hours, it's free game. People got to be allowed to openly talk about it. And if you haven't watched it by then, then it's your responsibility to stay off social media until you do watch it, or you're just going to have to make sure you do watch it, or you're just going to have to accept the fact that you're going to hear some spoilers. But it's a tough one, Rob. It's a tough one. So what I would say to Zag, uh, Zagard is, I don't think you did anything wrong. Unless you were like, unless you made it seem really threatening, like you were about to drop major information to your friend, that's not cool. But if you made one joke, I don't think there's anything, Rob. I don't know, Rob, or wrong. Rob, what's your approach to this? Well, look, one of the things that I've learned in my life is I've gone back and read, whether it's classic literature, old movies, old comic book stories I missed. And I want because they're so old and people start talking about them or stop talking about them. When I when I read them, it's almost like hearing about them for the first time. And the delight of discovery cannot be 
undersold. It's wonderful to go into a story or something and not know anything that's happening. So my, my whole thing is just ask the person you're with, have you seen this thing before? Well, if you haven't, I don't want to talk about it anymore because I don't want to rob you of that experience. And, and that's the way – look, on social media and stuff, we're going to mouth off about WandaVision and all that. But if I meet somebody in co- casual conversation or even a friend of mine and we talk about something that's a year or two old, I'll ask him, have you seen this? You should see it. And yeah. then just – I mean because even things that have been around for 30 or 40 years, like I had never seen the movie All About Eve until I was in film school. It won Best Picture in 1950. I'd never seen it. I'd heard about it. I didn't really even know anything about it. The movie blew me away when I watched it. It just blew me away. The performances, the story, everything. And I was so happy that I didn't know anything about it. And it was it was great to have that experience. And I, I think that we, we miss that, especially us pundits and movie fans and everybody that watches and scours the internet for everything. We've lost something. I went in and saw Infinity War cold, man. I, I, I stayed away from spoilers. I didn't know anything about Infinity War. And pretty much Endgame, when you and I went and saw Endgame, didn't know, man. I was a better person for it. I, those experiences of both of those movies were just so satisfying. All right, next up, we've got uh, an anonymous viewer who writes in, Hey, John, a lot of fans think that Agnes has some mystery surrounding her, but hypothetically, what if it turns out that there's actually nothing going on with her character and she is just some random person in town? How do you think the fans would react? Uh, the with nothing the fans would be surprised but that's it the fans would be surprised there's so much else going on in the show that it really doesn't matter it really doesn't matter. like there's so much else listen there are going to be surprises that it was just as it appeared to be okay surprise i mean i do think look i don't i still don't think rob that she's agatha harkness that is possible it's possible but I clearly think there's something going on with her. She's the only one who didn't have a bio on the wall. She's the one who's included in the opening credits of their shows. She's obviously got some other thing going on. I don't know what it is, but something. But if they don't, then I think most most intelligent fans, like there are some entitled dipshits out there who'll go, they didn't do what I thought they were going to do. I hate them now. Yeah, there's there's going to be some of that, but we all do that sometimes. But for the most part, I think most fans just be, whoa, like seriously, it turned out she was literally just a member of the thing. And they kept you distracted with her while they hit you with the right cross with some other big thing. So I think people will be fine with it, to be honest with you. It, it, they'll just take it as a surprise. All right, next up. Uh, War Doctor 10 writes, hey, John and Rob. So I read a few days ago that Lawrence Fishburne is set to voice the Beyonder in Disney Channel's new animated series, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. What are your thoughts? Thanks and bring on the filthy. Uh, Rob, I'll be honest with you. I generally really, I normally don't care too much about who does the voice of something unless there's something really significant or something poetically significant about it. I, 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 I don't care actor doing a voice in a show that I'm probably not going to watch is I'm just being honest with you. It's probably not something I care about. What do you think? I didn't know that they're going to bring the Beyonder in. <laughs> uh, I love Larry Fishman's voice. I think he's a great voiceover he's artist. He's one of the best. I just watched something. Is a documentary that he voiced? I I don't know what it was. I, he was it was great. So, look, I'm I I love that they're bringing him in. I think it's hilarious they're going to bring the Beyonder into that show. I can't even imagine. <laughs> All right, next up, uh, Jesse writes. 
One of three, I think the commercial in episode six is about Wanda and Vision. The boy represents Vision stranded on an island metaphor for purgatory until the shark Wanda shows up and gives him some magic, yo magic, to sustain him. Uh, the boy decaying while trying to peel back the label symbolizes Vision's attempts to escape and realizing that no matter how hard he tries, without Wanda's magic, he will decompose and die much like the boy did. Uh, it could also be representation of her grief, like the other ads, uh, that she has from revealing Vision's corpse, knowing even if subconsciously that bringing him back with her magic can't last forever. I I mean, that makes sense the way you structure but I, I, I just... I don't think it is that meta. I don't think it's that meta because the, the boy is, is, has something that can sustain him, but he can't get to it. He can't get at it. So the shark presents him here. This will sustain you, but he can't, that's a trick because the boy can't get into it. So it's a trick. So I, I don't know. It might be, though, like the Rob, the one thing about the commercial that did confuse me a little bit is the fact that up until now, every commercial has been a representation of a tragedy in Wanda's life. And this wasn't really. Um, and so it's that, I, we know of. that we know of right? that we could find a lot more in in 35 hours. So I, I don't know what what at the bottom. What at the end of the day was your interpretation of that trailer or of that commercial? Well, it's a hard one to say, but maybe, you know, not being able to open up something. Is that a shortcoming of yourself? Is it, are you admitting something like here, have some yo magic, uh, that I don't, again, I don't know, man, but I, I, I think it has something to do with not, not, not open. I mean, not by not opening that, that to me was the, that's the key to whatever it means. You, you couldn't open it. You didn't open it. You weren't able to open it. The question is why, why weren't you? And I think that therein lies the answer somewhere. I just don't know what that answer is. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Glenn who writes, Hey, John, <clears throat> do you think MCU would treat X gene like a virus now that Dr. Fauci has confirmed the existence of mutants <laughs> in an interview with Kevin Feige uh, has compared the pandemic to the snap. So this could be their way to further reflect elements from the real world. I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is this, although I don't know I I, I have no information on this. This is just me speculating as a fan. Here's the problem, Rob. Besides the Professor X and um, and Eric history being so important, they, their history is so important to what the X-Men are. The other big deal about X-Men and mutation is this. Stan Lee always said that Eric and Charles were an allegory to uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Uh, two different minds of, with two different philosophies of how to achieve uh, things for their people. Key to that is also this. The notion in the comics is that mutation is not a disease. It is the next step of human evolution. It's not an accident. It's not something that happened. It's not an event, but rather so core, Rob, to the, to the whole idea of X-Men and mutants in the comic, the core thing about them is this, that it is a natural thing. This is what they are. This is how they are born. This is how they are born as. 
It is just the next step in human evolution for some for, for a portion of the human existence. For them to take it and say that now every mutant is a victim of something, of some cataclysmic event that happens in the MCU, that kind of fundamentally changes everything that mutants were supposed to represent in the world of Marvel. So I don't, I don't know, Rob, that's just kind of my thoughts on that. What do you think? I think I, t- I tend to, to agree with you. I mean, the, the whole, I, I love the X-Men to me, the X-Men, the way I feel about Star Trek, I kind of feel about the X-Men for comics and reading them my whole life. I mean, the whole thing, yeah, they're an allegory for, a, uh, oppressed people everywhere, put in whatever oppression you want the the X-Men could reflect that, but they were the idea that they were there to supplant, overtake and, and replace humanity was always kind of there because they were the next stage of our evolution. And, and that was always something. And, and when you have a character like Magneto who believe that was, that's what he wanted to have happen. Like, let's get rid of these inferior human beings that have done nothing but cause us problems. I think that the fact that they have a a history in our on our in our world on our planet is important, and I think that the way the X Men could be introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe might be one of the most important things they've ever done. Mm. So I don't know how they're going to handle it, but you know I'm almost leaning in the direction of maybe the X Men have always been in the MCU. We just haven't had their story told yet. Somebody wrote to me the other day. They're like, well, you know, the X-Men are not mentioned in every episode or every issue of the Avengers comics. And I'm like, yeah, but would they sit out the, the attack on New York, you know, or would they sit, what happened? I mean, maybe, maybe we'll find out that mutants were always here, you know, but yeah. I, I don't know. There, there, that's going to be, but look, I'm, I would say that's going to be very, very tough to do narratively, yep. but really there's no answer that isn't going to be tough. Kevin Feige's got his work cut out for him, man. Yeah. All right. And if anybody can do it, it's going to be him. All right. Next up, we've got Orange Handwrites. Uh, John, have you heard about this new cuisine show on CNN involving Stanley Tucci? Yes, I have. Revisiting, uh, visiting regions of Italy. As an Italian as well as a Tucci fan, I thought you might be interested. I couldn't believe it when I first saw a commercial for that. It's like Stanley Tucci, who we all love, turn Italy, I'm Italian, and doing like food stuff. I'm kind of, I like, I like these food shows. I admit it. I kind of like these. I like, I like food shows and home renovation shows. I don't know why I just do. I, I can't explain it, but yeah, that caught me very much by surprise. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to watching that. All right. Uh, Canadian singing posty, uh, tips in like $50. Thank you. Canadian singing posty. Love his videos, by the way. Yeah. Uh, writes in, Hey, John and co, uh, here's to the new house. Thank you so much. Uh, consider this a housewarming gift for you and Ann. Thank you so much, dude. Got busy, but was going to offer a Valentine's song for you and Rob, uh, Ace, let him know if you want to, if you want a song on me, have a silly wanted production, um, have silly wanted prediction, but nervous to say, what? Hey, dude, dude, listen, every Wanda prediction is a silly prediction. None of us know. <laughs> we're all just, we're all just, all of our theories are all just being pulled out of us. By the way, for those of you who don't know, Canadian Singing Post, he has sent in videos to us before. He is, uh, he works for Canada Post and he like is an operatic singer and he's so good. And I've shared some of his stuff on my Twitter before. So anyway, thank you, Canadian Singing Post. I'm sure Rob would like a Valentine's song. I'll take one for sure, man, if you got one, because uh, he's just so good. All right, uh, next up. And thank you again, man. All right, Tom Riddle writes, 
being that T'Challa and Shuri were victims of the snap, and based on everything, uh, where do we go? And based on everything we know about this world, I think it's a safe bet to say that M'Baku became king slash Black Panther in the five-year time jump in Endgame. Would you agree, and will that factor into Black Panther 2? Well, I mean... I mean, obviously, we don't know. We know nothing right now at at this point about what went on in Wakanda after the events of Infinity War. We just don't know. We do know that M'Baku did survive the snap. We know that because they showed that in the movie. M'Baku was this close to being king of Wakanda anyway and being Black Panther anyway. Like, don't forget, go back to that part in Black Panther. He legitimately came very close to legitimately just beating T'Challa to become king in Black Panther. He was already the leader of the Jumbari tribe. It, it To me, it makes sense that, yes, clearly the next obvious person to be king and take over the throne and the mantle of protector of Wakanda would be M'Baku. Now, did they have any heart-shaped herbs left? Did they find a hidden stash or is that going to be part of this upcoming Wakanda series? I don't know, but it, it at least seems to me, Rob, that it would completely make sense that M'Baku became king during that time. I don't know. What do you think? It makes sense to me. I, I mean, I uh, again, uh, they, they're doing it Black Panther 2 and a Wakanda series. Yeah. So I think that whatever they're going to be doing with Wakanda is going to be something like like they always they've thought this out like like they know. And um, I I think that we're going to see all of these characters come into play in some way, shape, or form. And who might take up the the mantle of Black Panther? Uh, it's hard to say, but we have. I mean, Mbaku's a great character, and maybe they'll do something like switch. They'll make the King of Wakanda not Black Panther, or something. And, and split them into two characters or do something different. I don't know. I, I don't know where they're going to go. I, I, I don't know. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Cody Hunt Films writes, one of two. I had a conversation with someone about why HBO Max should rename itself to Warner Max. My thought was that H that Warner Brothers is more recognizable because of its long history being HBO's parent company and the fact that there is more WB films than HBO series on the platform. However, HBO did make uh, 5.8 billion in 2019 versus Warner Brothers 1.5 billion at the box office. I've kind of on the fence about this uh, at this point about what makes the most sense. What factors do you think went into the decision on uh, and why AT&T chose that name for the platform? Well, I mean, first of all, yeah, yeah, that 5.9 billion HBO Max lost shit tons of money. They all did. Netflix lost tons of money. Uh, Disney Plus lost all types of money. Uh, HBO Max lost all kinds of money. Uh, they generated that revenue, but that wasn't profit. That was there was a lot of losses involved there. But that being said, I believe launching with the name, look, they wanted to continue the tradition of HBO. HBO is their recognizable television brand. It is one of the best brands in all of television. HBO. I mean that that name, Rob. HBO is just synonymous with excellence. It is. But they should have launched with a different name because there was so much confusion from, okay, so we've got HBO, we have HBO Go, 
We have HBO Now. And now we've got HBO Max. I mean, it's they should have launched with something different. Over time, it won't matter because all there will be is HBO Max. That That's all there's going to Everything else is phasing out or phased out at this point. And so eventually it won't make a difference. Eventually people will just come to know HBO Max. If they try to rename it now to like Warner Max or something, then that just means they just lost a year of time. I, th- I think they should have launched with a different name, but they might as well just stick with it now. That's kind of how I see it. Rob, how do you see it? I Look, I, I think... I think branding their streaming service HBO Max was a mistake. I think it continues to be a mistake. I think that they they everybody's rebranding themselves now. Um, I, I think a lot of consumers don't understand that's what HBO Max is. I think they should call it Warner Gold, Warner Premier, Warner Plus, whatever. And I think they've got to tell people that that it's a new thing because I think they're they're their own worst enemy at this point. You know, they've got um, the thing is, eventually HBO is just going to go away and all there will be left is HBO Max. So do they want to lose that 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 IP? Do they want to lose that brand? And so, I mean, I don't know. Like, so I'm a little bit different than you. I think they should have launched with a different name. But now that they've had it for this long, you might as well just now ride this out. And as HBO, the regular HBO gets phased out over the next couple of years, I don't know, but. I mean, you might be right, but maybe the best thing right now, but the long, more time that passes that they stick with this name, the more they might as well stick with it. But they definitely should have launched with a different name. I, I agree with you on that 100%. All right, next up, uh, Manny writes, Hey, John, so Agnes has poisonous flowers in her garden that leads me to believe she may be a witch. I, I don't know. That that seems like a bit of a stretch uh, because she's got that going. Listen, it, it, there is evidence there that she could be Agatha Harkness, right? The brooch, the name itself, the fact that she was in her car in a total witch costume. I mean, there's a lot of like little evidences being spread around that this very well could be Agatha. I don't know if the fact that she might have, by the way, and I don't believe for a second that's how the dog died. That She killed that dog. I just don't know why. <laughs> I just don't know why at this point. But uh, yeah, lots of little bits of evidence. I don't know that that's, that's one of those pieces of evidence though. All right, uh, Manny writes, Monica went through her uh, wrapped. Monica went through her wrapped in Wanda's power. This makes her unique in going through the hex. And in my opinion, the uniqueness will give her powers. Uh, we focused on Monica almost as much as Wanda during the show. True. I I still don't think so. Look, this reminds me, Rob, of a. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a Family Guy gag a cutaway where they talked about superpowers were like, I think it was Peter came across a bunch of toxic sludge and like, mm-hmm. I've seen this in the movies. This is how they get superpowers. And he drinks it. And then it cuts him being in the doctor's office six months later, Mr. Griffin, you have cancer. Uh, it's like, <laughs> it's like we think that anything strange happens in movies. That means they're going to get superpowers out of it. I don't know. Cause that would, that would mean that Monica or Monica, that would mean that Wanda can just go around and bestowing superpowers on people. If she wants to, they can all become, superpowered beings if if she wanted to do that i i don't know like is it possible absolutely absolutely it is i still think they're just going to make this a health issue and i think Mm. monica rambo who becomes photon or spectrum or any other of the 10 other names she's had in the comics um i still think she's going to get her powers but i don't think she's going to get them till captain marvel 2 again i won't be shocked 
if in episode seven, suddenly she uses a superpower that she didn't know she had. That could happen. But Rob, where are you right now in the whole, does Monica get superpowers? Does she have them now? Or is these things she's going to get later? How, where, where are you on this? Well, you know, there is the, they, there is the, was it the plaque in her mom's office where they called her Photon? Fo- called was, her Maria. Yeah, that was Maria's nickname, Photons. Yeah, I mean, so... I think she probably I mean maybe we just haven't seen that she has powers yet but if if not I think absolutely we're going to see that she has powers because Monica Rambeau was was Captain Marvel in the comics amongst her other aliases for a long time and I think it would be pretty neat in Captain Marvel 2 to watch her fighting alongside Carol Danvers in some way shape or form So you do um, believe she's going to manifest superpowers in WandaVision in the next 3 episodes I think so all right, that's certainly. Let's see what that if that turns out. So. Might see that in thirty four and a half hours. We may see that in thirty four <laughs> and a half hours. All right. Next up, Manny writes. Sorry, that was Manny. All right. Next up, uh, Bill Houser writes. In Far From Home, Fury slash Talos gives excuses on the whereabouts of Avengers. Peter's young and inexperienced, yet they really want his help. Post credits, Talos tells Fury he doesn't know what to tell people about where the Avengers are. What did Wanda do? I'm not sure I understand the question at all. Let me try this again. Far From Home, Fury Talisker's excuses on the whereabouts of the Avengers uh, off-world. Uh, Peter's young and inexperienced, yet they really want his help. Post-credits, Talos tells Fury he doesn't know what to tell people about where the Avengers are. What did Wanda do? I I don't remember. I... I don't recall him saying he doesn't know what to tell people about the Avengers. I don't remember that. I, guys in the live chat, am, am I just am I am I forgetting something or am I missing something? Uh, there, I don't remember that being what they were talking about uh, at the end. So I don't know what I, I don't know if you guys have any input on that. I don't know if you have any input on that about whether or not is is that what he said? I don't know what to tell people about where the Avengers are. I don't remember that being a part of Rob. Do you? No. Like I I, re- I remember the post credit scene but I don't remember him saying that. I I'm going to have to go back and watch that again cuz yeah. he's saying I cuz you'd think we would remember like as a big big thing him like oh no what do we tell people about where the Avengers are? You'd think that would be a big thing and maybe I'm just uh uh I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that because if that is brought up as a major major problem that the Avengers are actually missing um, although Spider-Man was an Avenger anyway, um, what does that mean in as far as did Wanda do something to cause that is their final line? No more Avengers. I, I, I don't know. Is that what happened? I mean, I don't, I got, I'm going to have to load up far from home and watch that post credit scene again to see what it was specifically that he said. Cause I do not remember uh, word for word. Now, somebody is writing out uh, Billy the Kid Lawrence is writing in the live chat. Do do not spam, dude. Just stop spamming. Uh, once is good enough. Uh, writing in, um, people keep asking me where the Avengers are, and I don't know what to say to that. If that's what was said, and I, I totally don't have any memory of that. I saw the damn scene, and I don't remember that being specifically what was said. If that's true, that could point to something that maybe Wanda does something and want remember that's still seven months later, but I don't know, Rob, what do you think about that? Again, I still have to go back and confirm that myself, but what yeah, do you think I about that? Yeah, I would too. I've got to, I, I, yes, I do too. Um, but now see, it makes me want to because, uh, 
of other things, you know, where are we at? I wonder if they've hidden things in there that we haven't. Now they mean something totally different. Um, I don't know. I just I'd have to go back and refresh my memory because that's a, because if that's the case and we do go back and watch that and that is what is said, that is a huge piece of that is a huge potential piece of this puzzle that nobody is talking about. Right. So you may very well be really much onto something here, Bill. Like really, really onto something. I'm going to have to go watch it. I wish we could just call up scenes from movies immediately. Like, let's see. Well, I mean, you you can do that right now, Rob. Bring up Disney Plus on your computer and and just rush there. Just mute your computer and see if you can find something there. I don't don't have Disney Plus on my computer, though. You know, you just go to Disney Plus website and log in. Really? Yep. Yeah, I I do it all the time. So I'll let you do that while I I, I continue on here with this. Because if that is what he says... That is something that that could fundamentally change the way we see what may be coming in the last couple. I mean, it may be completely unrelated to WandaVision. It could be completely unrelated to WandaVision. But it is fascinating. Well, well brought up, Bill. That could be something really, really key here. I'll have to go and check that out. All right. Anyway, let's keep moving on for now. Uh, stop calling me the goat rights. Um, let's see. Uh, WandaVision episode nine post credit scene guardians of the galaxy crew watching return reruns of WandaVision quill. I love this show. That would be really funny because remember the showrunner and creator of WandaVision was talking about how these signals go out into space and they just keep going and going and going and going. So that, that wouldn't that be funny if they did that in guardians of the galaxy. All right. Uh, next up, Alex von Gollum writes, Hey, John and Rob. I'm calling it the Luke level cameo is Sir Ian McKellen as Gandalf the White. Uh, he will exercise he will exercise her with his staff, bring her back, a la Theoden. P.S. Who is this uh, Saruman in this story? Greetings from Toronto. Love the show. Thank you so much for that, Alex. I don't know if there is a Saruman in this. I mean, it very well could be Wanda herself. Like Wanda herself could be Saruman. She could be. She listen. There's still. I still kind of believe that ultimately Wanda is the bad guy of the show. I do believe there is another force at play, but I still believe this is mostly Wanda. This is mostly what she's doing. So, well, actually, then there are other theories. Mephisto is a very popular theory. Nightmare is one I'm warming up to a little bit. Uh, some people still think it's going to be Dormammu. Some people think uh, Count Mordo. There's a lot of those theories going around right now. So, I still think it ultimately um, is going to be um, uh, is going to be uh, Wanda herself. All right. Next up. Willow writes, I was thinking more about the idea of face off with the rock and Kevin Hart. Uh, Would you prefer that they superimpose the rocks face on Hart's body and vice versa, or just have the actors do impressions of each other and ignore the fact that their bodies are changed? Well, remember that was just a gag, but Rob, you know, when we were talking about the, uh, the uh, face-off thing that came up the other day that they're doing a sequel to face-off. I said, hey, you want to do one? Obviously, the number one choice is Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. But I threw out, what about Kevin Hart and Dwayne The Rock Johnson? I think it would be hilarious (laughs) to see Dwayne The Rock Johnson's face on this little Kevin Hart body trying to convince people that I'm Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Look at my face and vice versa. So I, I just think that would be funny. Did you have a chance to, were you able to find that thing? For Spider-Man Far From Home? Yeah. Spider-Man Far From Home is not on Disney+. Plus. 
Of course it's not. What was I thinking? <laughs> I, I, I saw a bunch of people saying online that it's on Twitter or not, not on Twitter, that it is on YouTube. Um, yeah, I, I didn't look there. <laughs> I, apparently, apparently a bunch of people have been looking there. They're saying it's on YouTube and you're right. I, I don't know. I brain froze. Of course, Spider-Man's not on there. Um, I was like, wait, where? It, it took me a minute. I'm like, of course it's not on Disney. But Plus. yes, they're saying uh, wild phantom is saying in the live chat, Talos says to fury, everyone kept asking me where the Avengers were. And I didn't know what to say only because, uh, he doesn't have the knowledge as he's not with him. It's not, it's not a thing at all. I mean, maybe it's not a thing or maybe it's something we'll, we'll, we'll find out. Um, all right, let's get one more in here while Rob's still with us here, guys. Scott Irvin writes, Hey, John, the poem, The Coronet, uh, is a poem about uh, a servant of Christ making him a new crown to honor the sacrifice he made. WandaVision's theater has the same name with a crown on top. I believe this is a hint to Vision and his life force, uh, his life force, the stone. Uh, remade? Uh, by the way, Crypt King sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Crypt King. Appreciate that. I don't know. That seems a little obscure, Scott. So, Rob, I I don't think you were here for this, but somebody wrote in before and made mention, hey, the movie theater that they're standing from is called the Cornet. And there's a crown on By the way, Regal Cinemas has a crown on it as well. But yeah, it's called the Cornet. And then somebody said, so I looked it up and there's a poem called the Cornet. And that's what Scott is giving us uh, that in, that info on. I I think that's way too obscure of a thing. I I I let's put it this way. Scott, if it does turn out to be that, I will be shocked and I will remember that you called that. <laughs> if it does turn out to be that, but I think that's a little bit too obscure, but I mean anything's possible. I don't know, Rob, what do you think? Do you think there's significance to the fact that the movie theater said it was called the Cornet? Do you think there's any significance there? I I think it could be just the art department calling it the Cornet. Or that could have been scripted, and somebody actually was referring to that. That who knows? I wouldn't put it past anyone. That's why I can't wait to watch this new Disney making of show about this show. You know, their new behind the scenes show about Wandavision. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm very that. excited about that and to see how that then leads. And then, of course, as soon as that's done, we'll go right into uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Rob. We've uh, used up your time here. Thank you so much for giving up another part of your day for being with us here. In the meantime, where can people follow you and your goodness online? You can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on uh, Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my YouTube page, uh, The Burnett Work and my show, Rob Observations. All right, Rob, as always, excellent job. Well done. Thanks for sharing your brilliance and we will talk to you later, my friend. All right, I'll talk to you. Okay, guys, that is the one and the only, the fabulous Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Once again, guys, if you haven't checked out, he's been working for years. Um, I have watched him for years working on this film called Tango Shalom. The trailer is out now. It looks absolutely delightful. Uh, Go and check out that trailer if you get a chance because Rob is awesome. All right, guys, we're going to keep right on rolling here. Sin Vendetta writes, John. To prep for the Snyder Cut of Justice League, I went back and rewatched Man of Steel last night, and I've got to say that I just never understood the hate for this movie. It's a damn masterpiece. I stand firmly on your side with this movie. I, I mean, listen, you know me. I could talk about this movie all day. Um, and for those of you who are interested, if you are interested, let me see if I can bring this up here quickly. Uh, where is my uh, editorials? Um, I don't know where I've got it. Nuts. I don't know where I put it. Um, 
Let me see here. I'm just going to do a quick search for this. Man of Steel. Um, see if I can find... Oh, here we go. So, uh, if you are interested, I did a almost half-hour video. It's uh, 27 minutes and 24 seconds. It's a little feature uh, editorial that I did. Uh, that you can see right here. It's called The Case for Man of Steel, the most underrated superhero film of all time. Now, I only put this up like uh, this year. I put this up eight months ago. Um, it's one of my favorite videos that I ever made, uh, actually. And it's it's basically me laying out why this movie is simply one of the most brilliant comic book movies ever made and why it is the easily most underrated comic book movie of all time and why I think it's so brilliant. And we walk step-by-step step kind of through the film. And uh, again, listen, I know not everybody loves Man of Steel. I get that. Uh, actually, half the people hate it, and I understand. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand why, but I respect that. All film subjective. If you don't like it, that's totally cool. But I think of the com it is absolutely a masterpiece of the comic book genre. And not in the same way that The Godfather is a masterpiece, but of the it is a masterpiece of the genre. And I would highly encourage you guys, just go do a quick search for it, The Case for Man of Steel. Go do a quick search for it. Uh, you'll find it. And um, again, it, I put like a week into this video. Me and Jonathan worked <laughs> like almost a whole week on this. And uh, I love this video. It's one of my favorites that we've ever done. So if you're interested in checking it out, and if you're wondering, wait, if you ever wonder, wait a minute, Campia, why do you like this movie so much? Why do you like Man of Steel so much? This is the video you should go and watch. Again, it's called The Case for Man of Steel, the most underrated super film, superhero film of all time. Go check it out, and it will answer those questions. Okay, great. Now let's move on uh, from there. Thank you, and I agree, Sin Vendetta. It's amazing. All right, also, Sin Vendetta writes, Kevin Feige, the last three episodes of WandaVision will be an hour each, the rest of us, but how long are the credits? Well, I mean, by the way, I have not heard Kevin Feige say... And I could be wrong. Maybe there's a reference that I'm missing. I have not heard Kevin Feige say the last three episodes of WandaVision will be an hour each. I keep seeing people saying that Kevin Feige said that, but I have not seen anywhere where Kevin Feige said that. What I have seen so far is that there was a comment made long before WandaVision aired that said WandaVision is like a six-hour movie. And what people have been doing is adding up the time that we've had so far and then saying, Oh, we've got like two hours and 45 minutes left. If it's, ex if he was being literal and was exactly six hours, which we don't know if he was being literal and saying, that means each of the next three episodes will be about an hour long, you know? And again, there might be a quote from Feige himself over the last couple of days that I just missed. Maybe he did come out and say each of the next three episodes of WandaVision will be an hour long each. If he did, I just missed it. And that happens. You know, there's a lot of media out there. I, I might have missed it. But I I do expect that they will be longer. I do expect that they will be longer. At least I, I hope they do. they do. All right, next up. Uh, Andrew Seif writes, Hello, John. With the success Disney Plus has had with The Mandalorian and WandaVision, do you think we might see Netflix do the same release strategy with some of their flagship shows? Example, The Umbrella Academy, Stranger Things, The Witcher, and Ozark. If you're talking about the release strategy as in a week-to-week -week release strategy, yes. I've been saying that for a long time, that I believe over the next couple of years, we've already seen Netflix start to experiment with it a bit, but the, the debate is over. What works best for these shows, if the shows are good, is a week-by-week -week release schedule. 
I mean, if you're like me and you're a binger, maybe you prefer it all being dropped at once, but there's no more argument. What is best for the show, if the show is great, is to release it week by week. It builds that momentum. It builds buzz. It builds words of mouth, word of mouth. It gets more people involved. And then, you know, like Mandalorian again, we were all talking about Mandalorian every day for months. But when a Netflix show drops, even if it's great, it drops. And then a week later, we're not talking about it anymore. And so, and we just saw WandaVision debut at number 35. But by episode five, it was number one because that week by week release got more and more people talking and buzzing. So yes, I do believe now, could they do it as early as the next season of the umbrella Academy? I doubt that. I don't think it's going to come that fast. I think Netflix has done it this way for a long time. I do think they will transition over. I don't know that that's just me speculating, but I think they're going to transition over, but I think it's going to take a couple more years. I think it's going to take a couple more years. We'll see. All right, next up. Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, we all wonder what's going on with WandaVision. Who's who, what's what's, etc. Now, some leaked toy packaging will add to it. A leaked Funko came out with Pietro, however it's listed as Pietro, where most Funkos exclude the quote-unquote. Who is he, damn it? I don't know. But I've said from the beginning, I don't believe this is actually... Everybody believed right up front that this was the Pietro from the Fox X-Men universe, and I've never thought that. And by the way, he might still end up being that. Let's not forget that. It is still possible. Like episode six came and then a lot of people went, oh, Campia was right. He's not He's not uh, Pietro from the Fox X-Men universe. But hold your horses. He could still be. He still could be. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll find out. I would never put too much weight in toy package releasing. Uh, I would never put too much weight to that, so I wouldn't worry about that too much as, as being any kind of a big thing. All right, next up, War Doctor writes, uh, Hey, John, in regards to the Joss Whedon situation, Michelle Trackenberg has been quoted as saying that Joss Whedon was not permitted to be alone with her on the set of Buffy. What are your thoughts? Thanks and bring on the filthy. I've addressed this a couple of times already. I don't like going into this TMZ bullshit, but I did address the Joss Whedon thing uh, at length twice already. Um, as a major, major fan of Joss Whedon, a major, I'm not going to doubt, I'm a major fan of Joss Whedon. Uh, I still think he's directed the greatest comic book movie of all time. Everything that we've heard come out from uh, Charisma Carpenter, from Michelle Trackenberg, from Sarah Michelle Geller, who never says anything. Uh, I went into more length of this two other times already. I'll just say right now, I'm very disappointed. I'm very disappointed. I don't know what else to say. Uh, because, you know, whenever you're a big fan of somebody and you find out, you, know, you see all this stuff coming out. Now, again, I wasn't there. I don't know what actually happened, but it's very disappointing to see all this. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to go into it any more depth than that. All right. Next up, Suthius writes, hey, guys, uh, on Monday's companion video, one of the viewers brought up that the director of WandaVision uh, and uh, how we're not giving him credit. Uh, Mr. C corrected the viewer by saying her, not him. But I don't think the viewer was talking about Jack Schaefer, one of two. Uh, Schaefer, who is indeed a her and who is the brilliant showrunner. But I think the viewer was talking about the director, uh, uh, Matt uh, Shackman. And I agree. We don't talk that much about him. He's done a terrific job with every episode so far. Yeah, the problem has been and see, I I. Somebody wrote to me about that earlier. So many people naturally, and I get it because when I first wrote, read uh, Jack Schaefer's name, I assumed it was a guy too because I just assumed the name Jack with a guy, uh, but it's not, it's a her. And so I've had a number of people write to me, oh, the showrunner, that dude is, and you know, 
people have been mistaken. So when they wrote in about the director, I just assumed they were confusing that with Jack. But yes, Matt, who is the director. But again, this is the tr- the weird thing about television series. Television series and movies are different in the sense that in a movie, the director is the buck stops here, makes all the key decisions person. That's not what the director does in TV. The showrunner is the buck stops here, makes all the major decisions person. And then the role of director becomes more of a shepherd. Um, How that plays out in a situation like WandaVision, I'm not sure. So I don't know how much credit is or isn't due uh, to uh, uh, to, uh, Matt. I'm not quite, I'm not honestly sure how much credit is due to Matt. I just don't know. So... But yes, that did cause a little bit of confusion, Suthius, but uh, but thank you for bringing that up again. All right, next up, uh, Iron Spam writes, we've heard uh, of a series jumping the shark, but how about the opposite, growing a beard, uh, referencing to Star Trek Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, improving greatly after characters Riker and Cisco started sporting facial hair. Uh, this should become a saying for all fandoms. Well, I mean, the difference is this, though, <clears throat> is that the term jump the shark is a is a note about something very bad in a show that then came synonymous with a bad turning point. The beards on Riker and Cisco did not make the shows better. For those of you who don't know, in case for some of you who may not, do you guys you guys have all heard the term jumping the shark, right? Quick quick quiz for those of you watching live. Do you know where the term jump the shark came from? See if anybody in the live chat knows it. Ron Peterson gets it. Happy days. So did Blank Bleach. Also, happy days. It came from happy days in an episode where the Fonz was literally ski jumped and a bunch of people writing in happy days. Fonz, but you guys got it. He ski jumped over a shark. It was ridiculous and terrible. And from that point on, the show was considered kind of bad. And this phrase came along that became associated with uh, a show going bad as jumping the shark. Oh, that show jumped the shark this week or something like that, right? So I don't know if growing the beard would be applicable because growing the beard didn't make the shows better, but him jumping the show was a terrible episode. That kind of, yeah, uh, anyway. But anyway, thanks for bringing that up, Iron Spam. All right, next up, uh, Abel Leon writes, Hey, John, hope you have you you are having a great day. I am so far, Abel. Thank you. I personally think that the big cameo is Magneto. Marvel could change his story about him being their father to instead being their grandfather. Uh, he decided to abandon his children um, since they didn't have the mutant gene and later realized that his grandchildren do. Also, was it only me, but wasn't this the first uh, commercial where the so-called parents are usually in it? I'm starting to believe that they have a bigger role than we think. Yay. Also, yay for the bucks. I mean, there's a whole bunch in there, Able quickly. Yes, it is interesting. This was the first commercial without the two people that I think are Wanda, Wanda's parents. But I don't know that they're Wanda's parents. So I've always just kind of guessed that. Um, the thing with Magneto is this. Remember, I did a video about the five biggest potential people that could be the big cameo. And I listed Magneto as one of them. I, I said Magneto or Charles. I put Charles or Magneto kind of equal. Of course, the big problem with that is this. There's never been any mention of mutants. There's nothing to indicate that mutants have been in the world. It'd be very difficult for them to hide that, and I don't think they're getting ready to bring in X-Men characters into this show. Um, I, I just don't think they're re- ready to bring in mutants. I don't think they're ready to bring in X-Men. 
I don't think Kevin Feige's planning on it. Well, then, John, why did you list Magneto as a potential? Uh, Because it is a potential. I mean, it's a totally contradictory train of thought, yes. But, uh, you know, I try to think about what would a cameo have to be in order just to shake the world? You know, Captain Marvel showing up, an existing and ongoing character in the MCU already showing up, that shakes the world? I don't think so. Doctor Strange showing up, I mean, cool, but he's an existing ongoing character in the MCU already. Him showing up in the MCU is not that big of a deal. Spider-Man showing up, Spider-Man's already an existing ongoing active character in the MCU. Is him showing up to cameo in another MCU bit really earth-shaking? No. You know what would be earth-shaking? John Krasinski is Reed Richards. I'm not saying that's happening. I'm just saying... That would shake the world. As you guys in the chat are saying, Henry Winkler is the Fonz jumping a shark would shake the world as a cameo in WandaVision. Yes, it would. Um, But Reed Richards showing up, particularly if it's John Krasinski, that would shake the world. Magneto showing up, even though I don't think they're bringing in X-Men yet. But there's no denying if Magneto or Professor X showed up in WandaVision, You're telling me that wouldn't shake the world? That would shake the world. So I still don't think those guys are showing up because I don't think they're bringing in X-Men yet. But you can't deny that that would be a showstopper, man. That would be a showstopper if one of those guys shows up. I'm not saying they are, but I can't deny it would kind of shake the world. All right, uh, next up. Uh, Let's see, let's see. Matt Smash writes, Sending a big good day, mate, from Hobart, uh, Tasmania. I don't think I've ever had a message from somebody from Tasmania. Thank you, man. I'm just writing in to ask if you've seen uh, Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale. Also, shout out to my best mate, Butters, who watches the show. Oh, shout out there. Okay, listen, I think I know what you're talking about, but there are many times where I think I know what they're talking about and I don't. Uh, uh, Nightingale IMDb. So I think I know. Let me just double check. Oh, okay. Well, there are two Nightingales that came up and neither of them are the one that I was thinking of, to be honest with you. Um, so, oh, th- okay. This one I am familiar with. Okay. And this is the one by Jennifer Kent. There's another one called the Nightingale that is more, that's supposed to come out later this year. That's directed uh, by uh, Laurent, but that with uh, Ellie, Ellie and Dakota Fanning, but uh, who, by the way, Ellie and Dakota Fanning, who play sisters in the movie. I've never seen them together in a movie before, so that's going to be kind of cool to see. But that's not the Nightingale you're talking about. I remember somebody else brought this show, this particular movie up on the show before. Uh, set in 1825, Claire, a young Irish uh, convict woman, chases a British officer through the rugged Tasmanian wilderness, bent on revenge for a terrible act of violence he committed against her family. Yes, and I remember I watched the trailer for this. On the way, she enlists the services of uh, other people along the way as well. I I was about to say I haven't watched this, but did I? Oh shit, I may have wa- I might have watched this. You know what? For now I'm going to go with that I didn't watch this yet. But you're not the first person to bring this up, so that's definitely one that's on the right. Did I watch it already? Something I've got this bug in the back of my brain saying, "No, John, after you heard about this, you did go watch it." But no, but I'm going to go with that I didn't. I totally remember the trailer. But am I remembering the trailer or scenes from the movie? Shit. 
It's all becoming one big blur now. Anyway, uh, if I, I'll try to jump up on that. But for those of you who haven't, go and check out the trailer for it because the trailer was great. All right, next up. And thanks for writing in from there, Matt. Uh, Thanos writes, Hey, John and Rob. Some people may think this is a stupid question, but what is the big difference between executive producer and director? I'm asking in general sense, but Russo Brothers were a producer on 21 Bridges and uh, directed uh, and directed Cherry Big Difference. Uh, yeah, there is there is a massive difference between producer and director. First of all, and I'm not going to look, the best thing for you to do is to Google this, but just in general, first of all, there are a million different definitions for producer. There's producer, associate producer, executive producer, assistant producer, all these types of things. And right now in Hollywood, producer is a nebulous kind of term because the person in charge of a movie is the producer proper. But then a lot of other people can get producer credits by just like sitting in on a couple of creative meetings and they get a producer credit. Oh, you want Jennifer Lawrence in that movie? Yeah, I know Jennifer. and I can connect the two of you guys and I can arrange for you guys to have a meeting, but I want a producer credit. You know, it, it, it's really that nebulous. The director is the actual person on set every day directing the movie, steering the ship in control of the film on set. That's the director. Again, the best thing to do is to go and Google those, those other differences, but that should give you a basic starting point there. All right, uh, next up, uh, Greg Scott Bailey writes, one of two, uh, watched Weird Science, 1985. That's Weird Science. It's been a long time since I've seen that. Wow, logic and plot flow issues up the yin-yang. Still a fun flick. Granted, haven't watched it since I was uh, an age where I probably shouldn't have watched it. Forgot Downey Jr. and Bill Paxton were in it. Good times. Fun follow-up. Weird Science noticed it was PG-13. I had thought that rating format didn't uh, start until the late 80s. First PG-13 movie was the previous year on Red Dawn, 1984. After they, uh, after the reboard, after the board reevaluated reception of Temple of Doom and Gremlins. Man, I didn't think that, I honestly didn't think the PG-13 rating was around yet at that time either. I would have thought that came later. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I would have thought that that's probably something they gave it later on. By the way, Iconic Reactions sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Iconic Reactions. I appreciate that, man. Um, I would have thought that was something that would have come along later. I, I I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't have pieced that together, that that's something that was was done at the time. So very interesting. You know, man, now you're taking me back with that weird science, man. Weird science. I Now, now I'm going to have to go, because it's like you, Greg, that's been a long time. It's been a long time since I saw that movie. Now I'm going to have to go back and watch it at some point. Thanks for putting that on my head. Now I'm not going to be able to get it out of there. Thanks for that, Greg. All right, Kirky Novak writes, I hope for reasons uh, no other than my own amusement that the cameo is a big-name character but from an older Marvel film. Just imagine the conclusion of Eric Bana, uh, Julian McMahon, who is Dr. Doom, of course, and Kelsey Grammer, who's Beast, reprise their roles, or Alex Hyde-White, the original Mr. Fantastic. Well, don't laugh. There, there is, however unlikely, there is a chance, a chance, despite me saying Feige's not going to bring in X-Men, there's a chance that maybe Beast... I mean, when you're thinking about who could be like considered an aerospace engineer... Well, who designed and built the Blackbird? Beast. So maybe there's a chance that Kelsey Grammer as Beast shows up to meet 
uh, to meet Monica and Jimmy as we get um, as we get into WandaVision episode seven. Again, I don't think it will be. I don't think it will be. But I mean, that's a possibility. But man, that Eric Bana one, yeah, trying to forget that. You know, I, I didn't hate that first Hulk movie. I liked it less the more I watched it. The one with the Hulk dogs and and Nick Nolte, Phantom Mc, Nick Nolte. Uh, I, I much prefer the other Hulk film with uh, Ed Norton. But I whatever happened to Eric Bana? He's a hell of an actor. He should be in more stuff. Anyway. All right. Next up. And an anonymous on purpose writes, stop the press, John. I got it. I know who the engineer is. Drum roll, pr- please. Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin Black. I don't know how they met or why, uh, why or who he is helping, but it would blow some heads for sure. You know that meme with Nathan Fillion from Firefly? That's me right now. That's me right now. That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. Think because remember this, right? Let me just bring this up here for a second. Um, Spider-Man far from, let me just bring this up here quick. Um, Why can't I find it? There it is. Because remember this, and this is a part we always forget about. Spider-Man Far From Home does take place seven months after the events of WandaVision, right? So right now, Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, Quentin Black is out there in the world. Spider-Man Far From Home hasn't happened yet. Dear heavens, I like that theory. I like this theory. Now is, but but I'm trying to remember, is he an aerospace engineer? I can't remember. Like, I I can't remember. What did they say? Uh, By the way, Jake Gyllenhaal, Mysterio, Quentin Black, that's the guy. I can't remember what they said specifically he did. I mean, he was a great manipulator, but was he like an engineer? I can't remember if they said he was an engineer or not. I, I honestly can't remember. Uh, some people are saying he's an optics guy. Drones were, was he an optics guy or did he just have somebody else who was an optics guy that was working for him? Uh, I can't remember that. Uh, they're saying, no, he invented, did he, that's the thing. It's somebody saying he invented hologram stuff. Did he invent hologram stuff or did he have one of his team do the hologram stuff? I can't remember. I can't remember. Dear heavens. Did I say Quentin Black? Sorry, Beck. Beck, sorry. Um, Okay, look, I can't remember if they said he was actually an engineer or not. But if he is, I got to tell you, I like this theory. It's It's a really, because listen, if he shows up, it's not Magneto showing up big. It's not, um, um, it's not you know, uh, John Krasinski showing up as Mr. Fantastic big, but that would be big and would catch a lot of people by surprise. I'll tell you what, man, that's a neat theory. I like that one. I, I we'll see what happens. Uh, by the way, Luke Jings, uh, writes in a super chat badge in the live chat, uh, in the live chat there. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate that dude. Let's keep an eye on that. Cause I love that theory. 
I, I don't know if it's valid or not, but I love the theory. All right, next up. Uh, Alex writes, hey, John, do you think it's entirely possible that Wanda is bipolar or has a split personality disorder and uh, th- and this her going through a manic episode? Also, maybe Scarlet Witch is her alter personality. Just a theory. Yeah, I've, I've gotten that, Alex, from about 50 people. So you're not alone. You're in good company. You're not alone in this. Don't think you're crazy uh, because I've had like 50 people write this theory to me. It's a good theory. The thing is, when I watch the show and we watch Wanda, um, I don't sense split personality. Like, that can't mean there can't be other mental health issues. She's clearly very broken. She's clearly very broken. But I don't this. I don't think this is a my own worst enemy kind of scenario. I don't think this is dual battling personalities. I don't think this is, you know, James McAvoy and split kind of thing, you know? I think, I think, no, she's just broken. I think she's emotionally devastated and broken. I don't know that she's struggling with a classifiable mental illness at this point. But like I said, Alex, you're not alone. There's a lot of people smarter than me that think that maybe that is coming into play here. So let's keep an eye on it. We'll wait and see. Next up, uh, Alpha uh, Drago writes, theory. Fake Pietro is actually Doctor Strange disguised inside the hex to figure out what is going on from Wanda and and stop it slash her, hence the questioning. Plus, Cumberbatch might have been who Bettany was referring to, and they have to unite to stop Wanda. Thoughts? Here's the big problem with that theory. If Doctor Strange was going to enter, if he, he sensed that this was a, a, a threat to the realm, why would he go into the hex and not take on the appearance of Aaron Taylor Johnson? Why would he appear to her as somebody she doesn't initially recognize? If Dr. Strange was going to go in and do that, wouldn't it make more sense for him to go in and look like Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson, a face she knows, a face she trusts? Why would he go in and take on a completely different face? So that's the thing. Is it possible? Absolutely. But again, I I just struggle with, well, then what was the point of appearing as uh, Evan Peters's face instead of Aaron Taylor Johnson's face? If we can give an explanation for that, it becomes a theory that I might buy into a little bit more. And maybe episode seven will do that. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Alex H. writes, Hey, John. Uh, do you think it's entirely possible that Wanda is bipolar? Wait, oh, didn't we just already have that? Alex liked the question so much, he put it in twice. Same thought as I had before, uh, Alex. Same thought as I had before. All right, next up. Reggie L. writes, John, in Kevin Feige's original plans for WandaVision, I believe that Aaron Taylor Johnson was to play fake Pietro. The Disney-Fox merger opened the door to get Evan Peters to add another level of intrigue. Could be. Yeah, it could be. Listen, again, my belief right now No insider information. This is just as a fan speculating like everybody else. My belief from the moment Evan Peters showed up, and you guys all told me I was crazy, was that this is not actually Pietro. This is a misdirect. Them bringing in Evan Peters to do this is just a massive misdirect. Everybody thought I was crazy. Then episode six happened. Not now people don't think I'm so crazy, but it's still possible he is. Let's let's not we're not going to fall out of our chairs with shock and surprise if it turns out he is, but I still don't think he is. It would be brilliant by Kevin Feige to simply bring in Evan Peters to play this part 
just as a massive, massive misdirect. It would, it would be, a, it would be brilliant of him to do it. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think there is definitely something going on. The way he was questioning Wanda, oh yeah, Wanda, no, what you're doing here is great. I thought it was a great idea for you to keep the children out of it for a while. But uh, you know, uh, tell me, Wanda, how are you doing this? How are you doing this, one? I mean, clearly, that's sketch. That's totally sketchy, right? But we'll see. But I do think it would be an incredibly brilliant move if it was all just Evan Peters to be a huge misdirect. I think that would be amazing. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, that was Reggie next up Christian Bailey writes personally. I think Snyder currently doesn't have a future plans with Warner brothers because Warner brothers is, is waiting to see how fans react to the Snyder cut. No, they're not. Uh, the future of the Snyderverse hinges on the success of this film. No, it doesn't. Uh, Ben Affleck, Batman films, uh, Cal, uh, Cavill, Superman films. No, I don't think any of that's true either. Look, um, Walter Hamada, who is in charge of the DC on screen universe. Walter Hamada has already stated, this isn't going anywhere. This is a cul-de-sac, is, is the phrase he used. This is a one-time thing. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great, whatever, but it's a one-time thing, and then we move on. Uh, Zack Snyder himself has said he has no play. He's, he's not making anything more with uh, Warner Brothers in DC. The fact of the matter is, the majority of the execs at Warner Brothers don't like Zack, Zack Snyder's take on the DC universe which you and I can agree or disagree with all we want, but that is, that's a fact. That's how the Warner brothers feel about it. So no, they're not just waiting around to see how this justice league does. They already know how it's going to do. They know how it's going to do. They are able to look at man of steel. They're able to look at Batman versus Superman. They're able to look at all this stuff and they're, they're going to be able to extrapolate how it's going to do. They know how well it's going to do. They're expecting it'll do some good numbers. They're expecting it's going to bring in some subscriptions, but they already know how it's going to do. That's the thing. Like it's going to do pretty well and they're not going to be surprised by that. They know it's going to do pretty well. And knowing that, I mean, again, Godzilla versus Kong had more people watch that trailer than, than watch the, than watch the Snyder cut trailer, but they know how well it's going to do. They're not going to be surprised by it. They're not going to be shocked by it. They know exactly how good it's going to do. They already know that all the people who've been demanding the Snyder cut are going to say they love it. And it's the greatest thing ever. They already know all the people who hate Zack Snyder and hate all the Zack Snyder movies are going to say it totally sucks. They already know all this. They know all of it. This is not going to catch them by surprise. Um, they know what's going to happen. And and that's why both uh, Hamada has said, nope, this is a cul-de-sac. That's why Zack Snyder said, we're moving on after this. By the way, I'm personally very excited to see his Army of the Dead. I'm looking forward to seeing other Zack Snyder movies that aren't connected with the DCEU. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, they're not just sitting around waiting to see how it's going to happen. They already know how it's going to go. So, And it's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. Andy from Canada writes, uh, one of two. Do you think it's possible that Mordo could be the big bad in WandaVision? He was setting up to be the next villain in Doctor Strange and is certainly powerful enough to be influencing Wanda and uh, benefiting from feeding off her magic. Um, oh, good. Let's go into part two. Now, also, it would be more likely Kevin Feige would use a villain that he's already started to establish rather than introduce a new character that casual audiences may not recognize. I, for one, would be down for more of the great Chiwetel Ejiofor. Well, I listen, I think Chiwetel Ejiofor is a top three greatest actor in the world right now. Maybe, maybe top five. I, I tend to say top three. Chiwetel Ejiofor 
is the man. He's amazing. I've been in love with his acting ever since I first discovered him on Serenity as the operative. I love this dude. Anyway, that said, um, again, we, we talked about Mordo a little bit at the beginning. It is possible because there is a connection to Doctor Strange, and we know that Doctor Strange is going to be in this story arc. However, there's no other connection. And also remember, Mordo is going after sorcerers. Wanda in the MCU is technically not a sorceress, right? So I'm not quite sure why she would become the target. Don't Also don't forget, she's only been back for three weeks. It's not like Mordo or Zemo or anybody else has had a big, long period of time to formulate some big plan. Like she's only been back for a couple of weeks from the snap. So I think it's unlikely that it's Mordo. Uh, cause it just doesn't connect narratively, but because it, there is a connection with Dr. Strange, it is a possibility. It's a possibility, but I'm with you, Andy. I'm down for anything that gives us more to tell edgy for any day. All right. Frankie Gouge writes, all I want for 2021 is that at some point I never hear about Snyder cut or justice league or et cetera. Drama around this has been evolving for nearly five years now. I mean, that is one of the greatest things about it finally coming out is that it'll finally be in the rear view mirror, but listen. Again, I mean, this, this Snyder Cut is going to change nothing. There are people like me who recognize Man of Steel is awesome. There are people like me who like Batman versus Superman. There are people like me that have that general uh, appreciation for what Zack Snyder does with DC material. We are most likely going to like Justice League, the HBO version. Because we already know that we like Zack Snyder's uh, sensibilities when it comes to the DC material. And then there are other people who don't like Man of Steel, and there's a lot of them. There are those people who don't like Batman versus Superman, and there's a lot of them. And they already know what Zack Snyder's sensibilities are for DC, and they don't like it. So they're not going to like the Justice League HBO version. Because they already know they don't like Zack Snyder's sensibilities in DC. There are those of us who do. There are those other people who don't. And that's the way it's going to be. Justice League is going to come out. Those of us who like Zack Snyder's approach to DC material are going to like it. Probably. And people who don't like his approach to DC material aren't going to like it. And that's fine. There's already been a big enough sample size that people can judge. But um, listen. It's great for people who've been looking forward to it. They get to watch it. That's awesome. I'm very curious to see how it turns out. But I mean, if I mean, look, hell, if he can give us another Man of Steel, F yes, F yes, if he can give us another Man of Steel. But I mean, listen, the the outcome is already kind of in concrete. The outcome is already assured, right? The people who like his stuff are going to like it. The people who don't aren't, and that's just the way it's going to be. So. Other than that, I don't know if there's going to be any surprises. All right. Shane Bennis writes, John, I'm, uh, oh, somebody's saying I missed a question. Hold on. Andy from Canada. Oh, damn, you blew it up. I missed one. Okay. Sorry. Thank you guys in the live chat that I missed that one. Okay. Damn, you blew it up, writes. Uh, WandaVision has me waking up early on Fridays before work. Haven't obsessed about a mystery series since Lost. Uh, will the series stick the landing? Dude, that's the billion dollar question. And what weekly series did you obsess over in the past? Greetings from Puerto Rico. Um, yeah, listen, I, I am staying up. Now, I've got to get up at like five and six in the morning. Some days I, I go until six, but a lot of days I get up at five. So staying up 
on Thursday nights to midnight to watch um, WandaVision is a big deal. It means I'm getting like four hours sleep by the time it's done and I buzz a little bit and whatever. I'm getting like four hours of sleep those nights. But Ann and I are both staying up to watch WandaVision on Thursday nights. What mystery series had me obsessed like this? Uh, or, or, or no, just weekly series. Oh, weekly series? The, the last one that had me completely obsessed that like my whole life became a countdown clock to the next episode was probably Sons of Anarchy. Like that Sons of Anarchy is in, is in my top three all-time favorite uh, favorite TV shows of all time. That was the last one where I'm like, an episode ends and I'm just like, damn, how many hours until the next episode? Like completely obsessed with the next one coming. Um, I mean, I felt a bit of that about Mandalorian. I love Mandalorian. And there are shows that I've loved, but I've not obsessed. Like my life becomes a countdown clock to the next episode. You know what I mean? Uh, but I think the last one would probably be uh, Sons of Anarchy. All right. Thanks for giving me the heads up on that, guys. Uh, then we had Andy next up. Oh, then then we did Frankie. Uh, now Shane Bennis writes, uh, John, I'm so excited. My first ever hot toys are finally shipping Captain America and Iron Man from Endgame. Nice. Those are going to be beautiful. Uh, Thor should be coming later this year. I have not bought a hot toy in a long time uh, because I, I have one of these personalities where if I enjoy something, I tend to do it a lot, right? So I got my first hot toy and I thought I'll just get the one. I'll just indulge the one because I have a ton of pops. I have a ton of Funko pops because, you know, they're like 10 bucks a shot, 12 bucks a shot. You know, this is no big deal. The, the hot toys are a little bit more of an investment. You know, you're going anywhere between $250, $350, sometimes a little bit more expensive depending on the figure. So I got one. But the problem is I really liked it. And I like the way it looks on that shelf. And I'm like, ooh. So then I come across another one. It's like, wouldn't that one look great sitting about two feet over from that one? Yes, John, that would look great. Okay. So I bought another one. From when I bought my first one, I think three weeks passed and I had four. <laughs> Suddenly I had four. Whereas I thought it was only getting to the one. And then all of a sudden I had four. I'm like, I got to stop. I got to time out. I got to stop this because I'm going to go absolutely broke unless I'm careful. So I haven't bought another one since there are definitely ones I want to get, but I'm just so scared of myself because I do the same thing with pops. Like I haven't bought a new pop in about four months. The problem is when I buy a pop, I end up within the next two weeks buying seven, eight, nine, or 10 of them. And what I'm really afraid is that if I get like, if I get that Thanos figure that Rob showed on the show yesterday, my fear is if I get that Thanos figure, then dude, I'm afraid that within two weeks, I'm going to be getting your Captain America and your Iron Man and your Thor too. Cause I mean, I can't just have Thanos up there by himself. He's got to be surrounded by the other. I mean, it would just be a waste it to just have. And I'm so afraid of myself. I'm so afraid of myself. So, uh, yeah, I got I got to got to reel that in a little bit. Got to reel that in a little bit. But good on you, man, for getting your first ones. That's exciting. All right, next up, we have Frankie. Also writes in. I've uh, been thinking about your theory that the whole thing is a TV show inside and outside the bubble, mainly because Hayward is cliche and tropish. Uh, much the sitcom inside the outside is typical action TV. So what what Frankie's talking about is, 
I put up on Twitter, and I think I might have mentioned on the show that what if, I'm not saying I believe this, I'm not saying I believe this, but what if that the whole world is in a show, and within that show is another show inside the hex, but inside the hex is one show going on, but what everybody outside the hex doesn't realize is that they're all part of the show too. They're just part of the show that's looking in on the show within a show. I don't actually believe that, but it wouldn't it wouldn't make me fall out of my chair, Frankie. It wouldn't make me fall out of my chair if it turns out because you're right. Hey, it's the character, the director of sword is very cliche-ish. He's doing all the things of what the bad guy would do, right? That's why I kind of think he's not a villain. I think he's just a dick. I don't think he's a villain, but we may find out he's a villain. We'll find that out. But I think they're just making it too obvious that he's a villain. So obvious that I think he's not. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes, Frankie. All right, next up, we got Luke Rodriguez, who tips in like $20. Thank you, Luke, for supporting the channel on that level, man. Uh, Luke writes... Hey, Mr. Campia, this is my first time tipping. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Uh, but I've been a longtime fan. I started watching AMC Movie Talk in eighth grade, and now I'm in and now I'm in college studying to be a film composer. That is awesome. I've loved your show for years. God bless you, man, and thank you for everything. Well, dude, listen, I, honestly, first of all, I am always amazed and thrilled and honored that you know, we all, that people tune in every day to watch the show. That's amazing. I'm especially um, moved when people like you write in and say, not only am I watching your show today, uh, I've been watching your show for a year or two years or five years or seven years. Hell, I even have some people write in sometimes saying, I've been watching you and reading your stuff and listening to your podcast since the movie blog days. A lot of people come in and say, you know, I've been, I, I, I discovered you during your Man of Steel review. That's where a, lo- a lot of people still say they first came across my content was that that very first Man of Steel review uh, that we did opening night of Man of Steel. I still remember that. Um, but it is, it is crazy to me. So thank you for that, man. Thank you so much for being along uh, this far into the journey. It's, it's really, really humbling. And I really, really appreciate that, Luke. Thank you so much. And best of luck, dude with the rest of your studies and getting into being a film composer. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. All right. Anthony uh, MR uh, writes in and also tips $20. Thank you, Anthony MR. I appreciate that, man. Writes, hey, guys, which movies have you really enjoyed but weren't really appreciated by the overall audience? Just showed my girlfriend K-Pax. K-Pax is pretty... You're talking about the um, 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 Kevin Spacey movie, K-Pax, right? Uh, it's weird talking about Kevin Spacey movies, but yeah, K-Pax is pretty good. I kind of like K-Pax. Um, so you're asking underrated movies, all right? Movies that you enjoyed, but aren't really appreciated by people overall. Uh, one that I go back to a lot is Armageddon. I really like Armageddon. I know everybody don't want to close my eyes. I know a lot of people hate Armageddon. I get it, but I, I cannot help it. I really, really like Armageddon. Um, I really like the Armageddon. So uh, that's one. Uh, there's a bunch of them that I that I really appreciate and enjoy and like very much that I think not a lot of people do. But that's the whole idea of that. But the one I keep going back to is Armageddon. And actually, some people are writing in the live chat that they like it. Face Off is one that I liked. 
Uh, Green Hornet is one of the, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, uh, Quirky Joe is writing in Mystery Men. And yes, Mystery Men is is big. I love Mystery Men. Mystery Men, that's one of my favorite. Actually, um, the the art director, uh, the designer, the art, the designer for Mystery Men, uh, I was just on their podcast and she pulled out her original concept sketch for Captain Amazing. And she sent her, uh, the designer's name is Marilyn Vance. And she heard that one of my like favorite movies, totally underrated mystery men. And she of course was the designer for mystery men. And so she pulled out her original sketch concept sketch for captain amazing and sent it to me. It is still wrapped. I've got to get it framed. Uh, so I'm going to be getting that framed here in the not too distant future. And, but yeah, mystery men, man, mystery men is one for sure. And yeah, capex is one that I think was a little bit overlooked. You're right about that, Anthony. All right. Thanks again for that, man. All right. Uh, Anthony MR also writes, uh, and for your information, uh, all the kingdom hearts games are coming to PC on March 30th. I know you're a PC gamer. So this is your chance to experience wonderful action packed games with cameos from your favorite characters. You know, I have never played. I have never played a kingdom hearts game. And as a matter of fact, I have been very, very curious about checking out. Maybe you guys can give me some advice here. Let me ask you guys for some advice. I've been very curious about checking out Xbox Game Pass because I didn't know that I only found this out like uh, two months ago, but apparently you don't even have to have an Xbox. You can sign up for Xbox Game Pass for like 10 bucks a month and download and play the games in your PC. And you have access to like 100, 150, 200 games, including all their big title releases and everything. And so I've been thinking about getting Game Pass, but not only about Game Pass. I, I have a PlayStation 4 Pro, so I need the next gen. I've been thinking about either getting a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox Series X. There's no way I can buy both. And I actually decided, and I came this close, this close last night. I came to buying an Xbox Series X off of eBay because people are like doubling the price of it because you can't get it in the store right now. But I found somebody on eBay who only had like a $200 markup on it. So instead of like $500, it was like $675. And I thought, would I be willing to pay the extra 100 something bucks so I could get it right now? And I came this close to buying it. And I thought, you know, I should ask people. So I actually got on Twitter. I'm struggling right now. Should I get a PlayStation 5 or should I get an Xbox Series X? The reason I was thinking Xbox Series X is because with Game Pass now, not only can I get the games and play on my PC, I can get them and play them in my living room too on the Xbox and it's a win-win. So I decided to jump on Twitter today and ask everybody, should I get a PlayStation or Xbox Series X? And I expected that the results were going to be 50-50. Like about half people would say PS5, Half people would say PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X. Half the people would say PlayStation 5. And get this, 6,000 people since this morning, I just put this up before I started the show today. Over 6,000 people have registered. Look at this. More than three quarters of you are saying PlayStation 5. 76.3% of you said I should get a PlayStation 5 instead of an Xbox Series X. I thought for sure I thought for sure 
Uh, Bill is saying, Anne says, 100%. I thought for sure it would be like way closer than that. So now I don't know what to do. Now I'm kind of torn. But I guess I could get a PlayStation 5 and still get Xbox Game Pass for my PC. So maybe that's the best thing for me to do. Get the Xbox Game Pass so I can play games on my PC and then get a PlayStation 5. Um, So yeah, maybe that's what I should do. Yeah, RSU is saying, why not both? Because I'm not made of money. <laughs> That's why not both. I can't go dropping $1,000 for two game consoles. But uh, yeah, maybe what I'll do is, um, is is get Game Pass for the PC, you know, 10 bucks a month, and then maybe I'll get a PlayStation 5 for out in the living room. But anyway, that's what I'll do. Anyway, guys, to all of you who voted on my poll on my on my uh, on my Twitter, thank you so much for your input. I think you just helped me make my decision. So thank you to all of you for doing that. All right, uh, we're we've already gone over time, but hell, let's just keep going for a little while longer. All right, Tony W writes, love your show. Thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate that. I love doing the show. Thank you for being here, man. Uh, Daryl Best Wadley writes. Hey, John, huge fan for years. Thank you so much, Daryl. It's always good seeing your name pop up. Uh, I wanted to know if you've had the chance to see Judas and the Black Messiah. Phenomenal film. It moved me, and I'm disappointed that it seems no one is talking about this film. Would love to hear your thoughts on the movie. I was a little bit late to it. Loved it. Uh, It was funny because I was in here doing a companion video with uh, Kimberly Curran. If you guys don't know Kimberly... Um, I just started doing my companion videos with Kimberly. I needed a co-host for my companion videos to do the reading, to give me little breaks for my voice. Also, it's really good to have somebody in here to bounce off of. And Kimberly has been great. Kimberly has been a great fan. Sam Wright is saying Kimberly is brilliant. Yeah, she's been wonderful. I love having her on and it's great. It's amazing. She actually tweeted or tweeted. She uh, texted me this morning um, and she, she actually said, um, where is it? She said that she's so grateful to be on the show that this, that being on the John Campion show is a dream come true. Of course, I found Kimberly because I put out a casting call and she, I had like two to 300 resumes came in, but hers was also, listen, I've been a fan of the John Campion show for years. This would be my dream gig. Um, and, um, uh, she also said that she happens to actually live close to me, so she wouldn't just have to come in over Skype like Rob does. She could actually come into studio, and she's been doing that, and she's been awesome, and uh, she's been great. But anyway, um, we were we were doing the companion video, and she was mentioning that her and her parents were just watching uh, Juice and the Black Messiah, and I'm like, uh, yeah, Ann and I were just talking about that. We want to watch it, so I sat down and watched it. Brilliant. Performances are brilliant. Story is brilliant. Um, it, it's absolutely lives up to all the hype and you'll probably hear us talk more about it the next time Kimberly is on. So, cause now both of us have seen it. We can talk about it a little bit more. Anyway, thanks a lot for writing that in Daryl. All right. Next up, we got Sarah, the supernova who writes, Hey John, I was watching sin city two last night and noticed that Josh Brolin's voice is so iconic as Thanos that I couldn't focus on his character. I just kept thinking of Thanos every time he spoke MCU crossover, perhaps. Yeah. I haven't seen sin city two since watching infinity war and Endgame. Uh, It's been a while. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a fan of sin city two. I really like the first sin city very much. I do. But yeah, I am not a fan of Sin City 2. So I don't even remember. But yes, I imagine going back, like even when I was watching Deadpool or Deadpool 2, 
when you hear him talking, even though he's doing his voice a little bit differently, it's hard not to hear, um, it's hard not to hear Thanos's voice, right? It's, it's hard not to see Thanos in your head when Josh Brolin is talking again, because, and you know what makes it, here's what makes it even worse is the fact that yes, it is Josh Brolin. It's modeled to look like, but really it's not Josh Brolin. You're seeing, you're seeing Thanos. I bet you anything. If Thanos, if sorry, if Josh, uh, Josh Brolin was just there on set and Thanos was just a human guy and Brolin just looked like Brolin, I bet we wouldn't have such a hard time drawing a distinction between him when he's in Infinity War and him when he's in other movies. But because it's a CG character and we just hear that voice, it emphasizes that even more. So when we hear that voice coming out of him in different movies, we just think of Thanos. So anyway, all that to say, uh, yeah, Kimberly, Jonah Hex. I think a lot of people would like to forget about Jonah Hex, including Brolin himself. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think you're right, though. When I when I do see him now, that's kind of what I hear. And hopefully I'll be able to get over that pretty soon. All right. Last question of the day, guys. will come to us from Preston the Kryptonian who writes, John, just realized that Silence of the Lambs just turned 30 the other day. Wow. Uh, looking back, there now has been so many sequels and spinoffs. Red Dragon, Hannibal, the Hannibal series. Now there's a Clarice. I uh, may have to go back and watch the original. Listen, I watched, I had uh, a couple. There's Ann and I have a, a, a couple who are friends of ours. And one night we were doing dinner, movie hanging out. and we The, uh, the wife had never seen Silence of the Lambs. So we're like, oh yeah, let's pop on that one because they're in mood for something kind of creepy. Put that on. So good. That movie is so good. And yes, you do have to go back and watch that one every once in a while. Absolutely for sure. All right, guys, listen. For everybody else who still got uh, questions outstanding, Chloe Fanning, Hank Dunn, Preston the Kryptonian, do not worry, guys. I've got a companion video coming a little bit later today, and we will get picked up on your questions. For those of you sent in questions, do not worry. They're going to get answered, whether it's in the companion video today or maybe we get picked up on them on the John Campus Show tomorrow. They are going to get answered. By the way, guys, don't forget, you can send in. Uh, a tip question for the John Campius show for either this or companion video. Anytime you can send it in. The sooner you send it in, the sooner it gets answered. Just go to streamelements.com slash movie blog TV slash tip. Again, you'll be supporting this show and you'll be getting your question on the show. Uh, if of course it's within reason. All right, guys, that will do it for today's installment of the John Campius show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness to the show. And a special thank you to all you guys who did send in those questions. Number one, because he gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here at the John Campius show. Thank you very, very much for your support. Okay, guys, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. By the way, quick announcement. Tomorrow, tomorrow, and for the next couple of episodes, the remaining episodes of WandaVision, we are going to do our open spoiler discussion on Fridays, but we are also going to do, Thursday afternoon, we are going to do a WandaVision pregame show. We're going to get together for like maybe an hour, and talk about what we think is going to happen in WandaVision Episode 7. So tomorrow at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we're going to do a WandaVision Episode 7 pregame show. And we're just going to talk for like an hour about what we think is coming up. And then, of course, we're going to do the spoiler discussion video on Friday at 4 p.m. with me and Ann Campia. So I hope you guys 
uh, will come and join us for that. And of course, the John Campia show returns to tomorrow. Uh, the great Aaron Cummings is going to be joining me tomorrow, of course, for No Pants Thursdays. Hopefully, you guys will be here too. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye bye.